Can I also just say, before you make your follow-up yes. point, during the editing, I asked you to make a couple of changes because of a few things. And I thought that it was going to result in the section making no sense whatsoever to people. And you obviously handled it very well because people seemed to understand what we were talking about. So congratulations to you on editing and sorry for making your life difficult. Yeah, but no nobody noticed. There's no reason for you to draw attention to this now. So I'm just going to cut this out as well. Uh, well, let's find out. You're not Googling if 29 is a prime number, are you? That, I, just... I, would, I, would, I, would never, uh, I would never do that. <laughs> I would never do that. I it must be prime. I can't think of any devices. Of prime numbers. 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, 17, 19, 23, 29. And what's our next prime episode after this? 31? 31. Wow. Twin primes. Twin primes. Yes. This is exciting. Double. Although it, the, it will be a twin prime if we make it to the fourth season, because this is the problem. I can never, my, my brain doesn't treat the seasons right, because if I'm not mistaken, this is our season finale for episode three or season three is it not no no i think wouldn't th 30 would be the finale this is the penultimate episode yeah oh, okay this is right this is yeah my brain always does this wrong i feel like i want to reorder things so that like go back and retcon it so that our first episode is episode zero because <laughs> i feel like the first number <laughs> should tell you what season it is as well so episode 30 should be episode one of season three but that's not really how it works but maybe I will go back. I'll change all the numbers. People will love that. Are you one of these people who got their knickers in a twist about the turn of the millennium then about, you know, when was the millennium really ending? Was it the end of 2000 or was it the end of... I didn't get my knickers in a twist, but I was aware that, that it, it... Did you get your underpants entangled? <laughs> it did not bother me, but it was something that I was aware of. It depended on how you want to count where is the millennium and where is not the millennium. Yeah. But yes, maybe I will go back and I will change all the numbers for all of the episodes to make it more the way that I want it to be. So episode one is actually episode zero. Maybe I'll no, do don't do that. I don't know. I might. I don't. might. Not only will it cause consternation for some of the followers, it will cause consternation for me. You'll forget in a little while. You'll forget. You won't even remember. Um, we should start with follow up because that's where we always start. Well, that's I where we so. always plan to start. We, we hardly ever do, but no, we don't. <laughs> Let's, let's, uh, let's get to it reasonably soon. First of all, um, can we start with the do not disturb stuff? We yes. talked, we talked quite a bit about do not disturb, uh, mode on phones and the times that it's inappropriate to send SMS mm. or text messages that a lot of people were very interested in this yeah, more this, than this I expected. Was, yeah. This was a big topic on, on the Reddit I think it's pretty obvious from uh, the feedback that the majority of people shared the view that I guess was kind of your view, although you were wrestling with it a bit, but most people shared the view that it's open season and you can send messages whenever you like and you can work on the assumption that the receiver is managing the situation at their end so that if they don't want to be disturbed, they will not be disturbed. That was the majority feeling, wasn't it? Yeah, looking looking through the feedback, that was the impression that I got. And then just today I asked on Twitter if someone wanted to tally it up. And one of our very nice Twitter followers, James, did just that and uh, made a little picture where he went through and tallied what side various people were on and did confirm that, that yes, this wasn't just confirmation bias on my part of, oh, look at all these comments that agree with me. And oh, I'm just going to ignore the ones that don't. Yeah, it looks like it was about three or maybe four to one in favor of you can message anytime 
versus you should try to estimate if the other person is awake before you message them. How do you feel about that, Brady? Well, at first, when I first started seeing the feedback coming in, I started to think, you know what? I'm probably just a bit out of touch here. The world has moved on. Uh, you know, get over yourself, Brady. And there are certainly people who I would send texts to at any time. I mean, nothing illustrates the example better than the fact I discussed this over Skype with Dirk from Veristablium. And we had that discussion at 2 a.m., you know, <laughs> and, and that was just a normal time for us to be talking. Uh-huh. And that did demonstrate that the world has moved on. But do you know what? what? I, it suddenly just dawned on me. Uh-huh. I'm right. <laughs> there is still etiquette and it's horses for courses. You need to take into account who it is. Wait, what? Horses for what? Horses for courses. I don't know this phrase. You don't know that saying? I don't. I know, uh, this means nothing to me. Well, it means, well, well, hold on. I'm imagining its origin, although now a thousand people will tell me I'm wrong. Uh-huh. There are, some horses are good at running on wet courses and some horses always win on dry courses. And So there's a saying that certain horses are suited to certain circumstances. And it's likewise with sending messages. You, it's horses for courses. You need to think about the horse. Well, actually, no. It should be courses for horses. Horses for courses. No, it's horses for courses because you can't change the course, but you can change the horse that runs on it. So if you turn up mm. to the course and it's wet, you think, oh, well, I'm not going to run far lap. I'm going to run red rum because red rum's better on the wet course. Oh, people have multiple horses? I didn't realize this. I didn't realize you show up with many horses and decide which one to run. I'm thinking you have one horse and you pick which course you want to run him on. <laughs> Is that not how? I don't know how professional horse racing works. <laughs> anyway. Guess this get, is not really relevant to the point at hand. Before we get too caught up <laughs> with, uh, with the uh, intricacies of the horse racing industry, let's just say my attitude is you need to think about the person. To, cho- to pick an example, uh-huh. um, Professor Polyakov is someone I text a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't text many people, so that's why I chose him. Sorry, Sir Martin, I should say, yeah. is someone I text a lot. He's, you know, I don't know how old he is. He's somewhere between 65 and 70. He's not, I wouldn't describe him as a super high-tech dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's entrusted me with his phone number and and the, the privilege to be able to ring him and text him whenever I like. I would not text him late at night. I would not expect him to have configured his phone into some uh, system whereby he can filter me out. I would not assume he has turned his phone off. He doesn't have to turn his phone off because of all the people in the world who have his number. I think he has an expectation. He has the right to an expectation to be left alone after a certain time of night. Now, okay, CGP Grey, I know he's a super tech dude, hard to contact, goes into his shell whenever he wants. I will text him on a whim when I think of it. Uh, You know, Destin, who could be anywhere in the world, I will text him at any time because he's probably awake anyway, working or something. Mm -hmm. I choose my horses carefully. (laughs) And And that responsibility is on me because I'm the person sending the thing out there into the world. The responsibility is mine. And I'm sorry if I'm living in the past and I'm being old-fashioned, but I still believe in, I still am old-fashioned in that way. There's an etiquette here. And I think if I'm going to interrupt someone, I need to think about, am I interrupting them? 
you know, you don't just turn up at someone's house anytime, you don't phone them anytime. And for me, text messages still fall into that as well. It seems like you're modifying your course for the horses in your life is the way this seems to me. I'm still stuck on this phrasing. And it seems yeah, backwards. I can tell this is a problem for you. <laughs> Let's say courses for horses if it makes it easier for you. But I can assure you the saying is horses for courses. And yes, most people in the racing industry do have a whole stable of horses. They will have 20 or 30. And they do choose where to run them based on how good they are at certain things. In this metaphor, though, the horses are your friends. Or are the courses your friends? It doesn't seem like the courses should be your friends. You understand the argument, hopefully. <laughs> Obviously, I'm making the horses people because horses are more people-like. Right, right. So, and, and you are modifying your course for the particular my, I am horse. modifying my course of action right. depending on the horse who I am sending my SMS right. to. It's, it's the course for the horse. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry to be frustrating you with this. Tell me where you stand after all this. Have you? Because you were, you were not totally decided on this. You were kind of a bit anguished. I was a man in flux in the last episode. I, where I, are you now? I was genuinely anguished. I was thinking about it for a whole bunch after that show. And I, was, I, I read through all, just all of the comments on the Reddit. I was really interested to see what people have to say. And after, after this, whole, this whole debacle, I'm coming down pretty firmly on the side of, no, you can message anybody at any time. That instant message, as, as you were discussing last time, instant message can be treated much more, much more sort of like it's email than it's like a phone call, which I was arguing in the opposite way on the previous show. But I, I know what you meant by that. So I, I'm, I am coming down on that side pretty clearly. That you are wrong. And you know what? I think you know you're wrong. I, I, but I don't think I know that I'm Let wrong. me give you an example. Okay. Say you, say you decided the next CGP Grey video was going to be about chemistry. Mm -hmm. And it was something. And I said, oh, Martin, help you out with that. And mm -hmm. you called him up and he said, oh, sure, Grey. Here's my, here's my phone number. Text me anytime you want. Okay. And, and you were pulling a late night session. And suddenly a question popped into your head. You're like, oh, I need to text this to Martin because I want to know the answer. Do you send the text message straight away as soon as it comes into your head at 1am? Or do you think, do you know what? That 67-year-old professor, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't send him a text message at 1am. I'll tell you what, I'll send it in the morning at a more respectable hour. Which Just tell me which you do and then I'll shut up. I think it partly depends on... The horse? It depends on, do I know if he has an iPhone? It would depend on the horse, I guess. He does have an iPhone. I can he does tell you have that. an iPhone. Yeah. So that would make me more, more likely to be able to do it. Here, here's, here's the thing. I, I, I kind of, I do kind of agree with you in that. Oh, that right, feels so good. If somebody, <laughs> if somebody is possibly approaching 70, I might modify my technological interaction with them. So I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to concede that point ever so slightly here. Okay. Right. But one of the things that I, I thought was probably the, the most interesting comment from the Reddit that I, I found, huh, I, that never even occurred to me. It's how people don't change the default settings on their devices. Mm -hmm. Nobody flips the switches. They just leave everything as it is. What that means is that anybody who has an iPhone, if they, if they don't at least learn about do not disturb or how to turn off their phone at night, they must be getting messages from all kinds of things all the time, just 24 hours a day. Like what? 
Well, if, if they have Facebook on their phone, right? Facebook will give them a notification that somebody sent them a Facebook message. I don't get that. Uh, really? Do you have Facebook on your phone? Yes. I was using Facebook because I just assume that's what everybody has. But if you put the Twitter app on your phone. Which I have. It'll by default. Do you have the the uh, the actual one from Twitter? Yes. Okay. It, it notifies you for like everything that happens on Twitter. Mine doesn't. By de- now, okay. Well, here's the thing. Did you let it? send you messages like when that thing pops no. up and says probably like oh do you not, want to send messages yeah i probably would, no i would have said no to that okay course. well this is what i'm saying like mm. i think by default people just hit the yes button on all those things yeah. so if, if people just go with the default which which is yes their phone's going to be beeping all the time it doesn't seem to me like messages are are fundamentally different on that and i have to say i have seen on other people's iPhones in real life a disturbing number of things in their little notification tray or or the number of times that sort of normal people's phones do beep. And so I thought, huh, that does that does make messages more like they are part of this noise in people's life and less like less like a phone call. Like, I, you know, I would never I wouldn't call anybody unless it was an emergency, really. And I would try not to I would really, really think about when somebody is awake before I would call them in a way that I'm I'm less likely to consider that for messages at this stage. Well, I, I'm not conceding that yet. Well, here's the thing. The other thing that I just thought was interesting from the Reddit, at least our, our feedback on, on the Reddit was, you know, I would bet that Reddit trends toward a much younger audience. Yeah. Probably on average much younger than us. I thought it was interesting just to see that that there was the overwhelming, oh, yes, you can message any time. And I, I think this is going to be a or this is slowly becoming a kind of cultural shift. I, I would bet that that trends really high with the younger the person is, the more they think it's appropriate to message anybody at any time. So yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say here is messaging at all hours is the way of the future, Brady. And so hop on board the future train. I'm old school, mate. I'm I, old school. I, I know you're old, old school. I'm an, I'm an old gent, you know? I'm an, I'm, oh, not just old. Now you're an old yeah, gentleman. I'm an old gent. I'm a gent. I've got my manners. You know, I still, Jimmy use, Kane, a, I still use a knife and fork correctly. And, you know, well, the young the young people might think they can do whatever they want and eat with their hands. But, you know. Yeah, because they're animals, right? These young, yeah, these young people. Right. They're the animals. They days, eat with their just... hands and they text at all hours. I'm, 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 a, I'm a proper guy. I eat at the table with a knife and fork and... Uh-huh. Send my text messages at appropriate times. Yes, yes, I I, I do understand that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, one, one final thing, though, just just to point, yeah. just to say on this this little topic here, which was, I think the, the the reason the reason this is such a such a contentious issue is mm. that all other methods of communication can pretty clearly fall into one of two bins. You have asynchronous communication, like email. Yeah. where both people don't need to be there at the same time and the messages go back and forth, or like the post. Yeah. And then you have synchronous communications where you both need to be there at the same time, like yeah. a phone call or like right now what we're doing on Skype. Yeah. We can't asynchronously put together this podcast in any reasonable way. We should try that one day. It's like an experiment. We should not. We should not try that <laughs> one day. That does not sound like fun unless you want to edit that episode. Then I'll, I'll let you have that that joy. Yeah, you're right. But obviously these SMSs, they're in the, they're in the gray zone. The word for them is that they are semi-synchronous. They, they, they are not synchronous they're not asynchronous they're semi-synchronous they can fall in and out of this all the time and i think that is that is really the thing that causes all of the problems and i think one of the clearest things about this sometimes is 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 like the 
with some people on instant message, you sort of drift apart from having a live conversation, whereas like, oh, we're talking to each other right now, but then the messages, they take longer and longer between them. And you sort of wonder at what point, like, are we still talking to each other or are we not? <laughs> Do you know that feeling? You know what, I, what I'm Yeah, what you're I'm the master of that. You're the master at just like stopping <laughs> like a text conversation. It's like, oh, I guess that was the end. Uh, well, am I, am I supposed to, you're, since you're the old gentleman of, of etiquette here, Am I supposed to sign off with a cheerio pip pip to let you know that we're all done? Or or how is this supposed yeah, to? I don't know. You are more abrupt in your, like, sometimes you reply to things in a way that I used to think was rude. And now I just realize. It's just me? Is that what just, you're yeah, saying? <laughs> you're not being rude. It's just like, yeah. Sometimes. What would some... I do that you would think was rude? I'm curious. I don't know. Just like really. This is the problem. This, uh-huh. is a, this is the problem of communication. And you've talked about it before with email and text. At what point do you move from letters where everything has to be formal and yours sincerely and thank you very much for your time? And and at what point can you just be completely functional and say yes or no? You mm-hmm. know. Uh, and I'm not quite at your level yet of, of using these things purely functional. But oh, I, I, I never meant to be rude. Unless, I, unless there was some time I was trying to be rude to you, but I don't remember in particular. I know you're not rude. I don't take it. You know, I've learned. I've learned. I've learned. This is the way of grey. What have you learned that's, that's not rude? Just that, just that my messages are short? Is that what you mean? Abrupt. Abrupt. So abrupt sounds so much more angry than short. But also, but also the funny thing is, though, when, I, when, when you do get cornered into a situation where you have to sort of show some kind of emotional empathy, sometimes you are a bit cack-handed in how you handle that. What, what, uh, what do you mean? Uh, I don't know. It's just so, sometimes, like, I don't know. I don't want to like, get, I don't want to get too too personal because the next item i'm going to be really getting stuck into you so 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 i don't, I don't want to get stuck should, into should you. i just bring up what the next item is then not that i have written here on this list all right then let's go to the next let's go to the next item this episode of hello internet is brought to you by squarespace making your own website can be a huge pain even if you know how to code even if you're a designer trying to make something that looks good and works good is a huge huge hassle it's going to take up an enormous amount of your time And if you're making a website, you probably want that website to do something. You just want it done. You want this solution fixed for you. And that is what Squarespace is for. With Squarespace, you can have a beautiful and functional website up in just minutes. Speaking of making things look beautiful, Squarespace has partnered with Getty Images. So they have tons of stock photos that you can use to put your website together. So you don't have to go out and take a bunch of pictures for whatever it is you're trying to talk about. You just need some image at the top of your article. Bam, Squarespace has it solved for you with Getty Images. Again, Squarespace is just the best. I use it for my websites. They have beautiful designs. They have powerful templates. They have 24-7 support via live chat and email. You don't have to talk to a person to get your problem fixed, which is something I hugely appreciate. They also have responsive design, so your website looks good whether or not it's stretched across a 27-inch iMac or it's squished down into a tiny iPod Touch. You get all this and so much more. There's so many things to talk about with Squarespace. They have commerce. They have integration with Google Apps. I could go on forever, but bottom line is they can do almost everything. You get all of the amazing Squarespace for just $8 a month, and you can get a free domain name if you buy Squarespace for a year. Now, you can sign up at squarespace.com and start building a website today. Free trial, no credit card required. There's none of this, oh, it's a free trial, but we're going to charge you in 30 days if you don't remember. No, you can just really start making a website right now. So just go and try it out. Go and try it out. You'll see. It's awesome. 
And when you decide that you actually want to use Squarespace, which you obviously will, we can get you 10% off your first purchase if you use the promo code HELLO. So using hello when you sign up for Squarespace will give you 10% off your purchase and it will show Squarespace that you're coming from our show, which lets them sponsor the show, which works out for everybody. It's win-win. So once again, that's squarespace.com to build an amazing website. Hello is the promo code to get 10% off. And we thank Squarespace for their support of our show. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. So at the, at the end of the last show, we had a little bit of a discussion about kiss inflation. And yes. how some people end text messages with X's. Some people, such as yourself, are a big fan of the hug. And so they do the XOXO kisses and hugs as well. I just do, well, I just do one XO. I don't do XOXO. Well, I just do XO. This is the fundamental point, though, is that the, the number of X's and O's increases as a function of time. And then eventually you end up looking like you're being a bit distant if you just sign with an X and an O because XOXO has become the new standard over time. So this is kiss inflation on text messages and things. And during that conversation, you, you were asking me about this and I, I just had no familiarity with this whatsoever. And I've, I was baffled by this world that you live in. So a couple of days later, my wife listens to the podcast mm-hmm. and comes back to me with a piece of feedback. Yep. Which is that she does sign her messages to me very frequently with X's and O's. Yep. And I said to her, no, you don't. I've never seen X's and O's. And then, of course, I ended up having to look at this on my phone. And sure enough, lots of her messages to me end with X and O. And I swear, it's like my brain just never saw this. I never registered it at all, which is why in our conversation together, I could simply say something like, no, my wife doesn't do this. I don't have any idea what you're talking about, even though I've seen it probably hundreds of times in our married life together. So I just thought I would, I would say that, that <laughs> I, I guess I don't know what, it, like I was, I should have been much more familiar with that than I apparently was. And so I apologize for being just so not, not helpful at all in that conversation. It's funny because when I asked you about it and said, does your wife sign off with um, kisses, mm-hmm. you did this weird pause that made me think that you were like, like not wanting to admit to it. And then mm-hmm. you, cause you did this pause and then you just went, no, and like dismissed it out of hand. So I thought, oh, okay. I think yeah. I was, I was thinking about it. Yeah. And thinking and coming to the conclusion that the answer was no. Uh, I'm just looking now on my message here. So if I if I scroll about ten messages back, my wife has a message where it, that ends in XOXO for me. So there we go. Anyway, I am less aware of instant message etiquette. I guess is the bottom line of this whole conversation. So I'm still not going to sign it with X's X's and O's for you though. I'm looking how far back I have to get for an X on mine from my wife. Oh, just one X, huh? That's no good. Fourteen messages back, but it is a double X. Did you see the the Mitchell and Webb uh, video that somebody left in the Reddit comments? No, I didn't. No, you didn't see it. Okay, what was it? I will, I will put it in the show notes. It was Mitchell and Webb having a little mm-hmm. conversation about kisses and hugs on text messages, and I thought it was great, as many of their little comedy clips are. So I'll put that in the show notes for people to watch. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, as the as the guy who makes number file, I cannot tell you how many times I've been sent the YouTube video of their number wang skit, but it would it would be in the hundreds. I don't know the number wang skit. Mm, Well, make make a channel called Number File, and you'll get very familiar with it. (laughs) Okay, Number Wang. I'll send it to you. You can put that in the show notes too if you want. Gosh, I get sent that a lot. Yeah, they have they have a lot of good ones. They do. They're very good. 
you said something on Twitter about keyboards and all your nerdy fans got very excited and they were all like, tell us more about your keyboard, Gray. That's a different nerd voice now. Is this my, the fan nerd voice? That's the fan nerd voice. What's normal nerd voice? Hello, I have a new keyboard. I think you've forgotten how you do your own nerd voice. This is very interesting. Maybe it's different sound settings. I don't know. Maybe. No, it's, you've just, you've lost a, you've lost the skill. You think it doesn't sound nerdy anymore? I don't think it sounds as nerdy as it used to. Tell us about your keyboard. Uh, I did get a new keyboard. This is the kind of thing people want to know. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear it. I'm yeah, typing yeah, of out. course I can hear it. You know, and you know my position on hearing keyboards on audio uh, recordings. I believe you were in favor of hearing the keyboard on the audio recording. Is that right? Is that mm. was that not right? No, it was more mouse clicks. But no, I find, I don't like I don't like clicking in my audio recordings. It shows that the, it shows a lack of respect to the audience. Uh, I, I think it probably when I'm typing, it shows more of a lack of respect to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, at the moment, I am your audience because we're just recording this and no one else is listening. So, But no, through this podcast, if, if you hear clicking, it'll be much louder. Because some, when we recorded in the past and I had my old keyboard, sometimes when you were talking, I would try to type quietly so yeah. that it wouldn't come up on the microphone and look stuff up. But I did get myself a new mechanical keyboard which I only just recently discovered are things that are still being manufactured. So back in the good old days of computers, you know, like in the 1980s and 1990s, you had these keyboards with really satisfying clicks because they had physical switches inside of them. They're called typewriters, aren't they? No, they're not called typewriters, Brady. (laughs) Typewriters are often terrible. (laughs) I was using a typewriter today, would you believe? Uh, Really? What for? I was actually doing it for Hello Internet. Really? Yeah. Uh, What were you... Oh, I bet I know what you were yeah, doing. Yeah. I know what you yeah, were doing. Yeah, you know what I was doing. I know what you were doing. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so old, old keyboards used to have satisfying clicks, and it was because there were physical switches on the inside. And then over time, uh, manufacturers switched to what are called, I think they're called rubber dome caps inside keyboards, which are much softer, and they have a kind of mushier feel when you type on them. And it has always made me sad. But it never occurred to me that maybe somebody out there is still manufacturing uh, mechanical keyboards. I don't know why it popped into my head one day, but I went to look it up and was super excited to discover that yes, mechanical keyboards are still being manufactured. And so, uh, as a kind of nice purchase for myself, I decided that I had to buy one and there is one sitting in front of me right now, which is very nice. And I have to say there is nothing more satisfying than typing on a mechanical keyboard. Is it good looking it as well? Cause I think I'd like that. Um, well, the, the company who should sponsor us, by the way, well, actually I don't know how to pronounce the name. It's either W-A-S-D or WASD. I don't know if I'm supposed to say it as a word or if I'm supposed to say the letters, but they, they kind of make, they, uh, kind of personalize the keyboards. So, uh, you can get them printed however you want with any letters and then you can get the colors of the keys any way that you want. Oh, wow. And you can get any size keyboard any way that you want. Cause one of my big complaints about keyboards is that like when you buy a keyboard for your desktop, there's too much of the junk on the right-hand side, like a full number pad. I never want that. And then you have to reach over it to get to the mouse. So I got a little short keyboard. I got it all in black. And what is very exciting for me is I got it printed with the Dvorak keyboard layout. Nice. But the biggest disadvantage is that when we are recording a podcast, I can't, I can't be subtle anymore. Like here, here's me trying to type quietly. That's okay. 
yeah. I mean, at least it's... But you'll still hear I it. I think it's better to go loud. Like, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. Don't like... Yeah. So, I think I think that's the way to go. I quite like the look of this. So, I could get one of these printed, like, with my Avid shortcut keys on it and stuff. And Yeah, you can upload anything. They, I think there's a, there's a way that you can tell them whatever you want to put on the keys. And they have presets for a whole bunch of different stuff. Yeah. So, I got the Mac Dvorak preset and just i just got it in all black and it's really nice uh but it is heavy like you could beat a man to death with a mechanical keyboard right they are they are not uh they're not made for your backpack or to carry around or does anything. it have to be wired into the computer or can it be wireless uh i think they need to be wired yeah. but i'm not 100 percent sure on that but yeah the thing is the, the biggest advantage now is of course because i spend probably the majority of my time actually typing on my ipad is that i can't use this delightful keyboard with my ipad yeah. because if i brought it to starbucks people would be really angry even if i had an adapter that went into my ipad of trying to like type clack and clack 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 in the corner that wouldn't be any that wouldn't so be any this good. is purely uh not the dvorak thing but the mechanical thing this mm-hmm. is purely just kind of a like a pleasure a pleasure thing there's no kind of advantage to you functionally this is just a a niceness it just sounds and feels nice this just makes the experience more pleasurable yeah it, may, it makes typing way nicer to do yeah. and I, I don't know if it's just because these are the kind of keyboards that i grew up with like that that might just be a big part of it mm. but i feel and i've been i've been working with it for maybe about a week now and i'm i'm really aware that i can once i get into the flow of typing like when i've been working on scripts and things i swear it feels a lot easier to keep going and to type quickly on a mechanical keyboard mm. that might just totally be in my head i'm fully willing to acknowledge that but it it just feels like a really solid nice piece of equipment yeah. uh and well, so if you enjoy, really anything like you can it. do to increase the enjoyment of your work helps you work for longer doesn't it that's exactly it. When I got the keyboard, I was genuinely excited to be able to go through my email. I had this huge pile of email. I was like, yeah. oh boy, now I can yeah. start you know, trying and typing this out. So honestly, even just for a day of being able to churn through my endless pile of email, it was definitely beneficial. This episode of Hello Internet has been sponsored by our very good friends at Harry's. Now, you've heard me talk about Harry's before. They sell brilliant shaving kits, everything you need, the handle, the razors and whatnot. The usual talking points, you've heard us say, them blades are made in Germany, really good price, get them delivered to your door instead of going to the shops. But today I want to do something different. I want to read you an email I received just a couple of days ago from a gentleman named Trevor, who is a freshman at the University of Wisconsin. Actually, it's the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Is that right? Is that right? I don't know. Anyway, that's where he's from. I sounded really American then, didn't I? Saying freshman at the University of Wisconsin. I quite liked that. I have to say, I mean, I make educational videos and I get quite a lot of emails from people saying, thank you for making this video and you've inspired me to learn something. And I guess that's something I expect now, but I never expected I would get to a point where I started receiving emails like this from Trevor, basically thanking me for shaving advice. Trevor says, Harry's razors are fantastic. For Christmas, I received a Winston set, and I love it. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. As a university student with an aging razor, Harry's provides a high-quality razor for a great price. Although I've not yet used the shaving foam, I can say the gel is even high quality. And furthermore, I will from now on be buying my shaving products from Harry's. Thanks for your opinion on their razors, because Brady's soothing... Actually, it says Brady's smoothing words really pushed me to ask for one. Thanks and have a happy new year. Sincerely, Trevor. And just so you know, I'm not taking advantage of Trevor. He does say, P.S. You can use this email as a review for the ad if you guys make another one. So there you go. 
Don't take it from me. Don't take it from Gray. Take it from Trevor, a freshman at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. That can't be right, can it? Oshkosh? Anyway, thank you so much, Trevor. And thank you, Harry's, for supporting our podcast. Clearly, it's not just us saying what we think about the products. The people out there using them are really enjoying them as well. It's really hard to show you how cool the Harry's stuff is. You have to look at their website. It's harrys.com. I also recommend the Winston. It's sort of the silvery metal blade. It's really nice. And once you start using it, I'm sure you'll never go back. Go to harrys.com. You can get a starter set from as little as $15. But best of all, you can use the offer code HI for Hello Internet. That's HI when you check out and you'll get $5 off. So you're saving money. You're getting great raises, and you're also doing a favour for us here at Hello Internet. Thank you very much, Harry's. Now, there's something we spoke... We've spoken about this many times, and we spoke about it again in the last episode, and for some reason, for the last uh-huh. couple of weeks, it's really been stuck in my head uh-huh. more than ever before. Uh-huh. And this is your avoidance of news. The oh, fact, okay. The yeah. fact you don't go on news websites, you don't watch the nightly news, you would it be fair to say I don't know if you can actively avoid the news. Well, see, I think I think you're framing this all wrong because I'm just living my life. You, on the other hand, go and seek out the news. Okay. I'm not I'm not avoiding anything. Okay. Okay. So this for some reason, this has been bothering me a lot over the last couple of weeks. It was funny because on the last podcast, I, I, I was I was surprised how much of a thing this was because I felt like we've discussed this many times. Yeah. But it seemed like you didn't truly understand until the last episode. I don't it- know. I, I think I always understood, but I think it is. I think it is wrongheaded of you. Okay. Now. Can I put? A, can I just do a couple of little caveats here at the start? Please, please go ahead. Okay. Caveat away. Caveat away. First of all, it's everyone's right how they live their life, including yours. And right. Who, and who am I to judge? Et cetera, et cetera. I, honest, but well, first of all, I think since we do a podcast together, it's kind of your job to judge my life. I think that like in this circumstance, it's totally all right, fine. All right. Okay. <laughs> can I also just say from the start before I start trying to sound too grandiose, um, that I am very aware that you and I and everyone listening to this podcast is just a sack of water on a specky piece of rock around a star in a universe, and we could not be more insignificant. Uh-huh. I am aware of that, but I'm going to put that to one side because if we don't put that to one side, we may as well just all kill ourselves right now. Well, I mean, I don't agree with anything that you've just said there, but okay, we'll just I'll let you keep going here. All right. I think you should be following the news and the things that happen in the world more closely. You and it should be part of your life. Okay. There are two there are two main reasons. The first reason and it's the lesser reason is I think you almost have a I don't want to say professional responsibility cuz you know, I would never suggest you're unprofessional and you're very good at your work. But I think it's almost incumbent on you in the job you do to know quite a bit about what's going on in the world at all times. You have a very large following of people on various mediums, you know, uh, you know, whether it's social media and obviously your YouTube channel. You touch a lot of people's lives. 
in a lot of different places around the world and to be to have no idea what's going on in the world I'm exaggerating here, of course, when I say you have no idea what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Excuse my exaggeration. We, we, but, yeah, but yeah. to a first order yeah. approximation, yeah. it's close yeah. enough. To have no idea what's going on in the world, I think, is irresponsible. I, I, I'm using words like unprofessional and irresponsible, but I'm using them in a very friendly way. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not fine. You know, yeah, I think it's it's almost irresponsible to not know what's going on in the world. Because you communicate with these people and you talk with them. Admittedly, you're not talking with them about day-to-day news that much. But I just think you should know. I think you should know stuff. You should be really across stuff. So partly so you don't step on landmines, but also it just will allow you to have a kind of a sensitivity and and a context for things you say that matches the context of everyone else living in the world because i think most people in the world do follow the news and sort of know what's going on day to day yeah i think you're totally right all right now well i think you're right about most people follow the yeah, news let's yeah. <laughs> there's a bracket that very tightly okay <laughs> yeah i don't know if you want to I, I don't i don't know if you want to respond to that it's not my main point anyway but okay well, you should probably maybe you should respond you know am i you know well, i don't know uh, well i guess I've had this conversation with, with very many people um, yeah. that, that comes down to some kind of version of even, even my work aside that is like the responsibility of people to follow the news. Yeah. Um, and I do not understand that, that argument at all. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not, I, I've never had anybody make a convincing reason for why it's a responsibility to like, and, and what I mean here is on a, on a daily basis, like the thing you were talking about last time of, of just go to CNN.com and see what the headlines are or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't see the responsibility. I don't see the, the, the compelling reason to do that. And I have both lived a life where I did intensely, or not, I would say much more regularly follow the news. Mm. So when I, when I was, uh, when I was working as a teacher, I used to have a rel- relatively long commute for part of my career. And as a regular thing, I had a bunch of podcasts I listened to that were sort of just news podcasts, you know, what's what's going on. And I was much more plugged into things happening in the world. And over time, I, I kept turning that dial down and down and down about how much stuff I let in. And from my perspective, my life seems much better now that I don't follow the news. Is that, that's not that's not necessarily cause and causation, though. This is this is, you know, that. Your life could be better now for other reasons. My life is better for for very many reasons. Like I have been working to make my life better mm. and I have accomplished that in a bunch of ways, which I'm pretty happy about. But I can say that there, there are ways in which I could feel that the news was burning cycles in my brain that didn't need to be burned. That or, or like I was thinking about stuff where I thought, well, why am I thinking about this? Or like, why, why, why am I upset about this topic or... Why is my brain kind of focusing on this thing to just know to no avail? There's nothing I can do to to fix this situation or anything. So that like there's a particular way in which I mean that my life is better. Yeah, I feel that, like my that's something called empathy, but maybe we'll come to that in a minute. But you don't you don't know what topics I'm talking about, right? Like <laughs> I, I can get hugely obsessed with how the voting systems work. In particular, like that's not necessarily empathy with human beings. Um, 
I still think it's a kind of empathy, but anyway, that's that's a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. But but so 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 here's here's the thing. There, there's when we're weighing this, it's like I can I can point to measurable ways in which my life is better, personally better, from not following the news. And then people come along and tell me that I I have some sort of responsibility to follow the news just as, a, as an informed human being. Hmm. And I feel like you need a reason that's better than my life being better by not following the news. And I don't, I don't feel that anybody gives that. All right. Well, let me come let me come to my next point then. Because, and I know you hate my analogies. I love your analogies, Brady. I just think they're often terribly wrongheaded. But, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Talking about horses and courses and it's all backwards. <laughs> Okay. If you are on a say you were going to do one train journey in your life mm-hmm. and for the sake of for the sake of one let's say I love trains. Yeah. Let's say London to Edinburgh because it's one we've probably done and oh, I've done that it's good. It's where we live. So you're going to do this one train journey. And to me this is who you are. You are sitting on this train. You have your head in a book. And you're reading about all the great train journeys in history, or you're reading a book about fictional train journeys that a bunch of hobbits once took on the train to Mordor. <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're thinking about the best, your perfect train, and you're reading about what some views are from different trains. And the whole time you sit there in a book, and then at the end, you pull up in Edinburgh and you get off the train. And at no point on that train journey, did you look out the window? Did you walk around and have a look at the other carriages and see what the food carriage was like and what the toilets are like on the train and talk to the other passengers? You just spent the whole train journey reading and thinking about other train journeys. And I think this is kind of what life is like. You have you have this one train journey that you get to go on, depending on what you believe. You have this one train journey and... I know there's a lot of people in the world and 6 billion or 7 billion or 8 billion or whatever it is seems like a lot of people, but it's not really that many people in the grand scheme of things. And these are the other people that you're sharing the train journey with on this one little train around this one little star, and then soon it will all be over. And I think it is sad to think that you would spend your whole train journey with your head buried in a book thinking about stuff that's happened before or stuff that might happen in the future or stuff that never even happened. It's just made up and not devote more time to the journey itself, to look out the window, to get off at a few stations and walk around to, to think about all the other people that are doing the journey with you. Like, I think you're missing out. I think, I think that's wrong. I think in life, you know, you've got these other people that live on the planet with you and sure they're a long way away and you might never meet them. But these are kind of there's a kind of community that we're on here, and we're all on this planet together. And I think it's good that we live in a time where we can know what all the others are doing and what's going on. And I know the media is sometimes not the best prism, and it's flawed. But everything's flawed. I think sitting, I think you're sitting there with your head in a book, and I hope that you spend enough time looking up and realizing that there are billions of other people on this train with you and stuff's happening to all of them. And some of it's good and some of it's bad because this is the only train journey you're going to get. And you don't want to get to the end and think, I kind of just did it on my own. 
I think yeah, I think following the news makes you part of a really special community. And who knows? May, maybe there are millions of other communities spread all through the universe. Maybe we're the only one. But this is a special thing. This is a special ride you're on. And you're on it with a bunch of other special people. And I think you should pay attention to what journey all those other people are on too. That's all I have to say. Okay. So I swear I'm not making a horses for courses joke here. Okay. But the, your analogy seems exactly backwards to me. Yeah. <laughs> in the in the same way. Where yep. it, to me it feels like to use the, the train as life metaphor. Yeah. I am on a train and there are people around me and there are things to look out the window. And this train is my life. And what you want me to do instead of looking out the window or talking to the people nearby is you want me to read the newspaper, to read the newspaper about things that are happening on the other side of the planet, things that I can do nothing about or things that are just totally unrelated to what's happening around me right now. And that that's what you want me to do is to read the newspaper, that you want me to not look out the window, to not possibly interact with the people around me. Uh, like that, that's to me what the news seems like. No, you've taken, yeah, you've taken it, you've taken the analogy a step further to the point where it doesn't make, yeah, it doesn't make sense. That's not the point I was making. I, I understand that's not the yeah. point you're making, but that, yeah. but that is the way it feels to me is, and I think this is also like, it, I always feel kind of bad talking about the news with you, Brady, because you, you, you were a journalist. You mm -hmm. are still a journalist in, a, in many ways. You're sort of an independent journalist. And mm -hmm. I can honestly say you're the best journalist I've ever known. And if all journalists were like you, I would have much more interest in the news. But my experience with the news is that, like, it is all, even if you want to follow it, so much of it is just terrible. And even trying to filter through the stuff that is just wildly inaccurate or misrepresentative or stuff that's just a, like ginned up controversies, like, there's just a million things. And, and, uh, there's there is the abstract notion of the news, which I think is what you are arguing for, and then there is the practicalities of okay, well, I'm going to follow the news. Which which website am I going to follow in particular? When when you get down into those details, it all just looks particularly terrible. But if but if all of the newspapers in the world were written by Brady Harrens, you know that might be a very different story. But that's like that's not the actual world that we're in. I think I think it's a bit of a cop out to say that the media is broken. Like, you know, policemen are corrupt too, but it doesn't mean when you get robbed you're not going to call the policeman and you know, politicians are corrupt, but it doesn't mean that you want to abolish democracy. Like, you've got to, you know, no, you can't, I, you can't throw I, the I I will grant that. Anarchists aside, we can all agree that we need some kind of governing structure and we we need some kind of law enforcement. And yes, you know, hospitals aren't perfect, but I will go to one if I am sick. But I, I don't see, I don't see the need for the news in my life. I don't see what this, I don't see what this adds. And I don't see what, what following it does. I just feel a bit like, and I know, I know that you can change the analogy to soup to in another way. I know exactly how you will change it. But I feel like you're going to Yankee Stadium with 50,000 other people and like this unique, amazing game is happening and we're all together as a crowd cheering and enjoying it. And then after the game, someone comes up to you and says, what was the game like? What was the experience like? And you're like, I don't know. I just read The Hobbit. 
while everyone else was watching the game and ex- experiencing the emotions of the of the main of the of the journey and having a hot dog and doing all that and i feel like it's a bit like oh. and i'm and you know you can go too far the other way i'm not saying you should sit there watching a 24 hour news channel every minute of your life so that you know what every other human's doing there's mm-hmm. a balance to be struck but i just suspect i feel like you're striking it way too far in the other direction to the point where you're just sitting in the corner of a library and I don't know. I don't know why it frustrates me so much. Why do I care? You know, you're still my friend and you entertain me and you make good videos. So why do I care that you don't watch the news? But for some reason, it has been bothering me in the last couple of weeks. Don't worry. It's not just you. It's almost everybody I interact with everywhere I go when this comes up. Everybody's bothered by this. And I, and I, I find it very interesting that this that people are really bothered. But I, I have I have gotten through to a few people to, to do the experiment, try to turn down the news or just make a note of the things that are occupying your mind in the news on a particular day and then write them down and then look at that that list three weeks from now and see how much of that stuff on that list even matters at all. That's and- a very good experiment and I'd love to do it. And you're dead right. And I've thought a lot about the other that, that point you made, that things that seem important now later on don't seem important i see in my own videos actually i sometimes see videos i made because i felt like i had to make them because they were so topical and zeitgeisty and i watch them now and think that wasn't that important an event really was it no but but i do feel like you can go too far the other way you know with a few with you know i've but i've 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 said before that it is it is impossible to live in the modern world without some news getting through and so I like I go on Twitter. I'm aware of the occasional really big events that occur. You know, I went to the, the the local corner shop just earlier today, and like there's newspapers on the stand as I'm waiting to check out stuff. So I like I see the headlines. Is it's when you say avoiding the news, it's not like I'm I'm like oh avert my eyes from the headlines. You know, so I don't yeah. want to I don't want to soil my pure brain and and worry about what's happening elsewhere. And of course, I could never go on Twitter if I totally wanted to avoid everything. But so, but so that's why I just I think it's it's different that to me it's the question of is there any benefit in spending time actively seeking out the news? I, I don't think so. And I, and I, don't I don't think it's stupid to have it as one item on your checklist to go to the front page of the BBC website and just check what the top three stories are. And if you look at them and think, oh, that's just a bunch of filler, typical media. But if there's one there that you think, gosh, that's, you know. That's, but, that's- but, but you forget, I, I used to follow the news more regularly. Yeah. Like, like I've, I've done this. I used to do this. And I've come to the conclusion that it's, it's just, uh, there's, no, there's no point in it. There's no point in it except derailment. Uh, that like that that's that's what lies that way. Um, so, okay. I don't mean to I don't mean to bring you down, Brady. You haven't brought me down. You, you let me have my say. You were very um, you were very understanding and patient with me. Well, again, I, I'm. I I would I would just say that I I I still don't, I still don't hear the reason to follow the news from you. And this is, I, I would really like a reason. I would not like a metaphor. I would I would like. I would like to know what, what why should I, I do think this? it is good for you as a person to have a high level of empathy with the other people you share this planet with. Okay, but having empathy for other people is a is a totally different issue. Because I don't follow the news is not the same thing as lacking in empathy. Oh, well, it's kind of like a public it's kind of like a very flagrant showing of disregard for what's happening elsewhere. It's also not it's also not disregard. 
it, it's you know what is I always I always forget the wording of this thing. Uh, it's like that that the the, uh, the serenity prayer. You know, right. grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yes. I, I feel like like that the wisdom to know the difference and and like the acceptance of things I cannot change, like that like that is the news to a very large extent. The only reason that prayer doesn't apply to you though, is that you don't know what the things are. You don't know what things you can change or can't change because you don't know the things. You're ignoring <laughs> the things. I I understand that point, but I st- I still say that that almost by definition the stuff that is covered in the news is unusual stuff, and it's stuff that I can have almost no effect on. The stuff that is presented in the news is is not about solving stuff. It, it's about getting your attention on these things. Let me ask you one final question. Yeah, if everyone in the world mm-hmm. tomorrow. Um, deployed the CGP Grey philosophy to news consumption. What what would happen besides a whole bunch of uh, media empires going out of business? What would happen? Would it I'm be not- would it be in the world's best interest if everyone took your level of interest in news and current events? I don't think the world would be that different, to be honest. I do. Okay how how do you think it would be different? I think there would. Uh, I think the rich would get richer, the poor would get poorer, the corrupt would get corrupter. I think when tragedies happen, there would be no uh, help from the outside. I think when when I, I think when injustice was happening, nothing would be done about it. You got you got to stop there because again, you're you're acting as though huge events I don't hear about or that they don't come come through in my system. You you are postulating a world in which everyone is actively blind to everything that is occurring everywhere in the world. There's often some pretty big things you don't know about. That is that is true. And and to be fair, if everyone ignored the news, the news would kind of wither on the vine anyway, and there'd yeah. be even less to know. But but I know well, that's, yeah, not, that's not a reason to sustain it. I realize, but yeah, yeah. Again, this is this is again where I think like you are the ideal journalist. And you are you are a good embodiment of the story that the news likes to tell itself about. Oh, you know we you know we hold we hold power to account. Really, really, do you really news? I'm not super convinced that you do. Um, I'm not you can, super. There are convinced. other ways to hold power to account that are not as um, uh, altruistic as you think. You know, you don't. The, the only way to hold power to account is not writing kind of wholesome stories about, um, you know, deep political issues. You know, they the can't. Here, can I, here, can I, can I give you another little, a little thought experiment here? Mm-hmm. So this is something I've thought about a bunch. I haven't ever told anyone about this because I think it'd probably make people angry, but why don't I do it on a podcast? Let's see if we can make <laughs> people angry. This is perfect, right? All right. So your thought experiment of oh, what happens if everybody avoids the news in the way that I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something similar that I, I have thought about is this. You have brought up it before that, Oh, CGP Grey, you don't like the news. You like things when it's all just settled, when it's just history. And, you know, you want to wait until, you know, we have things all written down and we have like a definitive account of what has occurred, which I have argued with you many times. But I have often wondered, like, if I could press a button that would 
erase all knowledge of history from humanity. Would I press that button? As in nothing, nothing changes. We don't forget the current state of the world, hmm. right? But people just forget anything about history. You just, to, you know, wake up tomorrow and we're just, oh, right. Obviously, I still know I'm an, like, I'm an American. I'm living in the UK. Everybody in the UK knows the UK is a country. But they just forget all of the relations that, say, the UK ever had with France or with Ireland or with India or that Germany had with Poland or any of these kinds of things. So removing like the kind of the baggage and the stereotypes and the things yeah, like that. Yeah, just like I mean it quite literally, removing all knowledge of like the politics of history. Yeah. Just all those books got burned and everybody forgot. I would argue that that like I think that could be a better world. I honestly think I would be pretty tempted to press that button and and set alight all knowledge of human history. So you don't um, subscribe to this, you know, we learn from our mistakes and that's why history is important. You know? No, that's obvious. I mean, come on. Think, if you think about that for two seconds, that's obviously a load of bull, that whole, <laughs> that whole notion, right? I, tend, oh, I think that sometimes too, actually, yeah. It's so wrong. That is the kind of thing historians like to tell everybody. Oh, it's really important. We know all this history so we can learn from it. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've done a great job of learning from that history. I'm glad we, we've never made the same mistake twice. That was good job, historians. So so I would argue that I, I think that that could be a better world. Do you, what, what do you think? Do you, do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me on this point? I think it'd be good for you because the, you wouldn't bury your nose in history books and maybe you'd live with the rest of us in the now. Would you, would you, first of all, you, you still keep thinking, I don't read history. Like I am remarkably uninterested in history. You you think that I'm some sort of like history buff, but I assure you, sir, <laughs> I am not. Do you watch your videos? <laughs> Do you watch my videos? If you watch them, if you actually watch them, you will notice how little history there actually is in yeah. those things. Yeah. Right? Everybody thinks my videos are about history, but go back and look at them. They are not. Last book that could be considered a history book I read was you know, like a couple years ago. Anyway, aside from your your terrible concern that I, I follow the news in detail now, w- would you be at all tempted to press the button to a ra- I know you wouldn't, but I'm just like, yeah. hypothetically, do you think it, it could be a better world if you were to erase all of knowledge of, of history from from humanity? Um, my my instinct is not is that it would be a bad idea. And why do you think it would be a bad idea? Because I love, I love, I love history and heritage. I love that. I love that we got here because of a story, and I would hate to lose that story, mm-hmm. for better or worse. I love, I love that we are a chapter in an in a in a amazing book, and I don't want to lose the book. But you're acknowledging that like the book might be causing problems. Yep. So. I feel like you agree with me, but you still wouldn't press the button. I don't know. It's, it's something that I've run into here in the UK in particular, which I have found just weird is, is a particular kind of like people really not liking other people who are from ludicrously short distances away. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, I mean, like I, I have known, I'll just, you know, you can pick almost any pair of these, but I'll just pick one in particular, which is I have known Welsh people who passionately hate English people, just yeah. all English people. I know. And I can for, see Wales from my window right now. Yeah, for stuff that happened 900 years ago, <laughs> right? And 
And I have conversations with these people and they seem like really, really dead set about it. Now, before anybody gets angry, you know, you can do this with any combination you want. I know yeah. English people who hate Scottish people. I know Scottish people who hate English. Like, not in a jokey way, but in a serious way. That like, mm-hmm. they, like they bear resentment. And that to me is just beyond stupid. It's like, there's no reason for this. Everybody who was involved in this is long dead and buried in the ground. Like, I, d- I don't understand this this attachment to people from hundreds and hundreds of years ago like it like it affects your life at all now yeah. like you, like you know you're a dude in wales you know and it's you know whatever you can just live your life the way you want to so so that's kind of why i often think that like knowledge that that england screwed over wales 900 years ago you know what it might just be better if that wasn't if that wasn't around anymore if we just erased all of all of history and and i feel like you are right in that the the news in some sense is the is the leading is the vanguard of what will eventually become history yeah and so to me this is just it just seems like an extension of <laughs> I was like you you know you you want me to follow the news but I, you know I would press a button that would erase all of history from knowledge if I could so I like I in some ways I'm willing to go much much further on this but what 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 is the point of life if it isn't stories and like what is it just to just to have x number of dollars in the bank when you die like well, if if you haven't got stories and stuff that happened good stuff and bad stuff and happy times and sad times like if you haven't got that when but you- i mean my my life is that there, there was the story of of my life but i mean i mean how how far back can you honestly trace your family and how much would it matter if you discovered at some point that, oh, you know, you did some of the genealogy wrong and it was some other family that was that was your past family, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I and just, I I'll, I'll give let me give you let me give you an example of like of like empathy. Right? right. And and the and the kind of history history of this, which is I don't know. This might be, this might be a little bit sensitive for people, so I'll try to preface this. I don't even know how to preface this, but so uh, I mentioned a few times I've done some road trips across the United States. This has ended up being a really serious episode. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I've ended up doing a couple of road trips across the U.S. and they're very interesting things to do. If you ever have the ability to do it, I highly recommend it. But on on one of those trips, I'm not going to say exactly where. Somewhere in America, we were driving across a very large Indian reservation. My wife was with me at the time. And like, I've been, I've traveled around the world. Like I have been to many places. I can honestly say that this was one of the most horrifically poor places I have ever seen in my life. Mm. And my wife, who is much more well-traveled than I, she was like, she's never seen poverty like this. It was just a horrible, horrible place and, and to me, this is this is the this is the kind of thing where it's like, look, these people are in a terrible situation that we kind of in, in like this is a particular America problem, but that America kind of allows to exist for historical reasons. I honestly think that if we woke up tomorrow and everybody forgot everything that there ever was to know about colonialism and you know what happened with America and the Native Americans. And we just woke up tomorrow and couldn't remember anything, but just looked around and said, why on earth is, are there this, there, is there this group of people in poverty that we accept nowhere else in the country? We, we, would, we wouldn't 
let that stand. And I feel like this is another example of, of where history is no good. It doesn't, it doesn't help. And what you care about is like what like what is the situation of people today? Are there people who who need help? Like let's try to get them help. And I don't really care what the historical reasons are like as to how they got there. I care how much help they need today. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting kind of off track here, but that's that's sort of how I feel about that. That's that's it's the start of a good argument for a role of the media. What's going on today? Where do things need to be done today? I know it's this idealized media, not the, you know, yeah. what's and, Kim and, Kardashian uh, yeah. wearing. And can I, can I ask you, like, how much is the media focusing on that? None. Exactly none. No, that's, right? that's uh, I mean, I can't speak to Indian reservations, but it's not true that there are no parts of the media that aren't highlighting places where there are serious problems in the world. Yeah. We talk about the media highlighting, you know, places where there's problems in the, in the world. Fine. To me, this is this is like a fixable problem within a, in a in a confined region that is allowed to exist. If we didn't have historical knowledge of it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be allowed to stay the way it is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't but know. that I'm getting, button's I'm never going to exist, whereas the news media can does exist and can can do some stuff. But I'm not. I don't want to. I'm not making the case for the news media as a force for good. I don't. I don't. That I, that's not particularly interesting to me. Yeah. And I think it's a pretty lame argument when you say you should watch it because it's the fourth estate and it will make the world a better place. Yeah. I make the argument to you that you should follow the news and stuff that's in the media just because you're a citizen of the world, and and I think it's good for you to know what the other citizens are up to in some way. And mm. you make a very good case why you don't and. As I said at the very start, I respect it, but it just had been on my mind and we've <laughs> certainly devoted a lot of time to it. <laughs> so maybe we should move on <laughs> to more important issues. I put this on the, in our notes a couple of weeks ago and I don't even know what to say about it, but it was just a feeling that I had multiple times uh -huh. and this is going to make me sound really stupid. Okay. But anyway... No, go for it. I, I want to hear what this, this bullet point is on the list because this, this is calling to me. Do you ever get this emote? Like, I know we both joke about, um, you know, not, not having lots of patience for spending time with little kids, right? Um, but this is not what this is about. This is about when you do spend time with kids, which sometimes can be very pleasurable. Yeah, it, depends, it depends on the kids. Kids yes. are just like people. Yes. And I recently spent quite a bit of time with my uh, nephew, who I love very much and had had a really good time with. But there was one emotion that I often feel when I'm with little kids, like he's like three years old or something. Mm -hmm. And that is this feeling of, I, I wrote it as superiority, but it could also be described as kind of this sort of knowledge. Uh, you feel so like omnipotent when you're with little kids and you understand things so much better. And like we adults are like these like, gods and they're like trying to understand things in nuance that they can't possibly understand and you ha occasionally you just have these waves of emotion where you're like i just know so much more than you i c i can impart so much knowledge onto you and you don't understand this but i do and i don't know what, what? that i don't know what that says about me that i feel that all the time it's like um i'm trying to think of a really good example but i haven't i haven't really got one but like 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 a kid will go like near a lake or something and you'll be like, don't go near the lake, and you'll stop them going near the lake. Uh -huh. But you know so much more about why that is. You know about drowning and oxygen and swimming and all these things, like all these – you have so much more knowledge than them. Uh -huh. And they're like these, like, 
just there's these little nothings that just know nothing. And it's like a really, I find it a really nice feeling in a funny way. Does that make any sense? I Okay. Okay. Um, I, I have this feeling, but in the opposite way. Right. I, when I'm around little kids, probably the, the thought that is in my head the most often is, you're just so useless at everything. Right. When I look at a little kid, it's like yeah. you can't do, you can't do anything. You're, you know, we don't live in an agrarian society where I can send you out to the field and you could at least pull up the weeds and do something useful. You can't do anything useful. You don't know anything about anything and you can't do anything. And you're just this huge burden on society that we tolerate because eventually you'll grow up and you will be useful. But not today. But doesn't that make you feel good because you are useful? Like you're kind of like you're like, one day you will be mighty like me. One day you will be able to buy food. One day you will be able to drive a car. One day one day you will be able to open a door. But now you can't. You know, I am the god that can do these things. I, and you are just like and and you and the other adults kind of look at each other knowingly like we know. We know the stuff. We know how to open a door. They I don't. guess I guess I don't derive feelings of superiority by surrounding myself with uselessness it's not like a it's not like a menacing superiority it's not like whoa like evil it's just a kind of like a yeah no it's 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 a benevolent godlike superiority that's what you're that's what you're trying to say is that is that how you feel yeah you know how at the start of this i said i'm worried that i'll come across appearing a bit silly the, the point of this wasn't to say that i am a benevolent i am a god that just <laughs> The god of children. I am a god. I am a god. I can drive a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your god, your, me. yeah, your godlike powers are pretty, pretty limited. They are extremely <laughs> limited. I can only just drive a car. It's like, it's, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't even do that well. It's like, uh, what is that? What is that old? Uh, it's an old Onion article that I really like. Uh, I am the worst god ever. It's <laughs> good old Onion. Study reveals babies are stupid. Um, <laughs> Despite their relatively large cranial capacities, babies, such as the one pictured here, are so unintelligent that they are unable to distinguish colorful plastic squeak toys from food sources. Um, And goes on and on about all the things babies can't do. Uh, I love the onion. They're always so good. Speaking Uh, of godlike powers, guess what little chihuahua just woke up and is wanting to get up on my lap? Oh, yeah. You must feel super superior to a dog. She doesn't even have linguistic capabilities. I don't feel it around pets. It's only it's only other humans. It's only the ch- children I feel it about. I don't look at the dogs and think, I am almighty. Like, it's different with dogs. But see, if anybody views you as almighty, it is surely the dogs. The dogs probably do view you as a kind of god. I doubt, I doubt your nephew views you as a kind of god. No, he definitely doesn't. But do you think the gods view me as... Do you think the dogs... I don't know how the gods view you. Probably not favorably, especially after this podcast. All right. But no, it's, yeah, I think, I think the, dogs, the dogs definitely view you as some kind of all-powerful magic being. Wow, stop, stop feeding my god complex. <laughs> yeah. But so I guess bo- bottom line is... I, I don't know. I, I do not have this feeling around children. I mostly just feel that most children are totally useless. I do meet the occasional rare useful child. Uh, and that is, I'm always impressed then. But it's, you know, most of the time it's disappointing. What's an example of a useful child? Uh, Destin's kids. I would say Destin's oldest daughter in particular. 
Oh, yeah, but she's not a kid. She's like a, you know, she can yeah. feed chickens and stuff. She's like a Yeah, that's what person. I mean. But that, it takes that long for them to get to be useful. It's good when they're that old because then you can really start imparting knowledge and like they'll ask you questions and you can like. I think you think you're imparting more knowledge than you actually are. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how much, how much you can actually funnel into their brains that lasts at all. That lasts uh, beyond the conversation that you're actually having. I don't know. I try. I try. I'm sure. I'm sure you do try. It's, uh, trying is not the the question here. And then if I feel yeah. like that's not working, I just make a joke about poo, and they start laughing. And kids yeah, love poo jokes. I, I guess. I guess they do. I haven't yeah. made very many poo jokes around children. Maybe I should try that. Next oh, time. it always works. I recommend yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. I'll uh, I'll keep that in mind next time I'm around a child. All right. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. If you're listening to this ad and you don't listen to audiobooks, I have a particular recommendation for you today. And it is a book called Me Talk Pretty One Day by David Sedaris. Now, anybody who listens to audiobooks has almost certainly heard this book, but if it doesn't sound familiar to you, if you've never listened to this, this is a great place to start with audiobooks if they're not something that you're into. It is a perfect example of how the audiobook can give you so much more than just the written word itself. So, Me Talk Pretty One Day is a sort of memoir by this guy, David Sedaris, and he's just talking about experiences in his life, and he weaves them into stories, but it is the way he tells these stories that gives them all of their charm and all of their humor. I don't really want to say very much about it. You know how I feel about spoilers if you're listening to this podcast, but if you've never listened to an audiobook, you're looking for a place to start me Talk Pretty One Day is probably my go-to recommendation if I don't know anything about the person. I highly recommend it. David Sedaris does an amazing job with the narration. Now, lucky for you, if you are just getting started in audiobooks, you can get Me Talk Pretty One Day for free by signing up at audible.com slash hello internet. That will give you one free audiobook and a 30-day trial. Once again, that's audible.com slash hello internet to get Me Talk Pretty One Day. You won't regret it. And if you want to listen to anything else, Audible almost certainly has it. With over 150,000 titles and virtually every genre, you'll find what you're looking for. So go check out audible.com slash hello internet. We're going to talk about this podcast called Serial. Yes, we're going to talk about podcasts in our podcast, but it's somebody else's podcast. It's not our own podcast. I know, this is is dangerous because then people will start listening to other podcasts and then, well... What does that mean for us? I think that's good for us. I think people get sucked into the world of audio and you listen to a whole bunch of stuff. I think people are audio people and they listen to lots of things. So I don't I don't think it's uh I'm not worried. Okay. Okay. And we're well, so good. I mean, obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, how could yeah. <laughs> how could ridiculous. you not listen to two dudes yeah. talking about Yeah. Their I mean, basically for every keyboards. new person who comes into the world of listening to podcasts, that Essentially, that is a new listener for us. That's yes. how good we are. Yes. That, that's what Serial has done, really, is yeah. widen our audience. Yeah. <laughs> that's a way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like the sound of that. So, anyway, yeah. this, this podcast, Serial, has been, whatever you think of it, has been a f- phenomenon. It's like everyone's talking about it. Uh, it's been incredibly yeah. popular. It got through the gray news bubble. It got through the did. bubble. So, have you, have you listened to all of it? It's 12 episodes. Have you listened to it all? Yes. So, we, we didn't... Uh, that we, we mentioned it offhandedly on the last podcast, but we, sh- we should have properly set it for homework. We didn't do that, but I had just finished listening to Serial 
uh, I think actually the day we recorded that podcast and I mentioned it to you. You've listened to the whole thing now, right? Is that correct? I have. I have. Should we draw a line in the podcast here then and say from this moment on, everyone, massive spoiler alerts. If you haven't listened, you might want to pause our podcast now. Go listen to the 12 hours of serial, I think it is, and then come back and then you can listen to us talk about it. Because yes, there there are going to be spoilers ahead and you know how we feel about spoilers. So we just wanted to warn you. Now, obviously, some people will not follow that advice and will just listen to us talk anyway. So I always refuse to believe those people exist, but they tell me they exist in the comments. They seem to exist in abundance. So yeah. for those people who aren't going to listen to it, but are about to listen to us talk about it, I guess we owe it to them to explain what this thing is. Yeah. Well, I would say, I would back up and say that I first heard about Serial. I don't remember exactly when, but it seemed like there were, there were a few articles that were getting passed around on the internet about how there's some kind of huge podcast resurgence, which is a strange thing to write about in the first place, like podcasts went anywhere. But what it really was is there were a few podcasts that had had caught the public eye and serial was one of them and ended up becoming just a fun i think a phenomenon is is fair enough to say it seemed like it was it was mentioned and covered absolutely everywhere once it started going live i think it was mentioned first on this american life is where they started so it, it has been a, a big thing in the podcasting world here's what happened 15 years ago a high school a guy from baltimore was convicted and imprisoned for murdering his recently ex-girlfriend who was also a student at the school and he has been in jail ever since now very recently this case this guy always protested his innocence recently this case was brought to the attention of a reporter and she started investigating it and, you know, raking over all the old recordings, raking over the old trials, uh, interviewing all the people now 15 years later to try and get an idea of whether or not this guy was guilty or not. She also interviews the guy himself in jail, which is yeah. a very key part. Yeah, so, things uh, Adnan Sayed. Yes. So anyway, so that's the, that's the setup. Now, it's done in quite an interesting way. It's done as a serial, a serialization. So it's told in quite a unique way over these 12 episodes and the story unfolds. And it's not so much the story of what happened unfolds, although that is unfolding, but also the story is unfolding of this woman's investigation. So there's kind of these two threads going on. You're kind of you're kind of unwinding the crime 15 years ago and at the same time you're unwinding this woman's investigation now. So it's often jumping back to things that happened in the past and then it's things that are happening now in her investigation. Mm -hmm. And it's just done in a very compelling way. It's very well produced. Uh, It uses uses the mix of audio and recordings and the old and the new and sound and music very well, which I'm sure we might talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just makes for a really compelling story. And it has this, this serialization nature to it that makes it quite addictive, like, uh, like chapters of a book. You always just want to know the next chapter, uh, and very drawn out, which is unusual for this kind of audio format in this way. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of in a nutshell, in a small nutshell, what's happening. Mm -hmm. Have I missed out anything really, really key 
in describing what it is? No, no, I, I think that, that is that is a fair way to describe it. It is a current investigation by Sarah Koenig, who is who works for NPR. She's not a criminal investigator or anything. She is just mm-hmm. a journalist of a murder that took place 15 years ago now. Yeah. And it is it is told in, uh, yeah, 12 parts, I think, 10, 12 parts. Yeah. Each about an hour long, which is why. It's, it's very personal. It's very personal, too. It's very much her story of her investigation. She's She's not sort of keeping an arm's length. She's, um, you know, I, I think she would argue she's doing her best to be impartial, but she's. It is a very personal story. It's it's sort of her story of how she's trying to unspool things and mm. what she's learning and what she's thinking about about the case. Mm. So you listened to more recently, but did, so you, I would. It sounds overall like you liked it very much. Was that is that fair to say? You thought it was good. I, I liked it very, very, very much for numerous reasons. I tell you the best test for the fact that I liked it. <laughs> okay. And that is, I just couldn't get enough listening to it. Mm-hmm. And I was manufacturing excuses to listen to it. <laughs> like I was like, oh, I think I'll go for a big long walk this morning mm-hmm. just so that mm-hmm. I can put it in my ears and listen to another episode. Or I think I'll go and drive to that shopping center that's far away because that would be two, <laughs> two long drives and I can listen to a whole bunch more podcast. It, it really uh, took over my life. I think I listened to it all in about two, two and a half days or so. Yeah, that's yeah. that is that is a good sign. That is a good sign. And an interesting thing, which we may come back to as well. I I was saying to my wife the whole time, "You will love this. You have to listen to it." And she's like, "Yeah, I'm sure I will." But but you know, she wasn't listening to it. And then she had to go for a long drive. So I said, "Put it on your phone. Just listen to it on your drive." Mm-hmm. And now she has become completely obsessed with it to the point where she'll like come home from work, having driven home from work, and say, "I've just got ten minutes to go. Do you mind if I just put it on the stereo and listen to it while we have dinner?" <laughs> like she's become completely obsessed with it as well. Mm-hmm. And then you're you're listening to it a second time through her. I'm listening to bits of it a second time, but I think I think it's really important to listen to this with as few spoilers as possible. So I, uh, I'm i doing a really good job of just passing, showing no emotion and passing no comment as she listens to it. Right. She asks me questions and things, and I'm just kind of, I'm just playing a, a straight back to it, to use a cricket analogy. Oh, oh yes, of course, a straight back, yes. It's good. Mm. No, straight bat. Uh, yeah, that's what I meant, a straight bat. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's when they straighten the wings. That's what, what those are first two. Wait, what? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, all right. Come on then. Tell me what you thought of it. What's your executive summary? I, I, ma- I made reference on the last podcast too. I, I took a kind of vacation for myself from Christmas until early-ish January. It's a little mm-hmm. strange when you work for yourself because you have to decide for yourself when a vacation is going to end. And I ended up listening to Serial basically straight over the course of, of two days when mm-hmm. I was just... Just vegging out and um, just just like I'm, I'm not doing anything at all today. And I, I, I had had this on my list to listen to eventually and it crossed some threshold where I thought, oh, I'm going to give this a try. And I listened to one episode and it's like, well, I have to listen to the next episode and I don't have to do anything today. So let me keep let me, and then let me listen to the next one. And the next. so I, I think I listened to maybe five the first day and, and the rest the next day. So in a very, very condensed, very back to back. Uh, time frame which so like I'm imagining you, you liked it then <laughs> so here's the thing <laughs> here's right. the thing right. i i would say in general i liked serial i liked what it was what it was aiming for but i have to say that that by day two i was listening to it more out of frustration and wanting to conclude this thing than out of 
genuine enjoyment. Okay, but I, I, I thought I can, I can appreciate that. Yeah, I thought that the first maybe three or four episodes were excellent and yes. really drew me right in. I thought, boy, this you know, this is a really interesting story. Like, I'm curious to see what what happens to him and <laughs> so, like. Whoever made the theme song for Serial did an amazing job, and they they used audio really well in that, uh, where there's the automated voice from the Maryland Correctional Facility, and yeah. it's, like it's it's put together in a in a very high production kind of way. I love the music. I loved the music. But so here here was my frustration with this, and you listened to it more recently, so you you may be able to correct me on some of these points. But my my frustration in this was okay. We're trying to talk about what happened 15 years ago. Yeah. And even in the very first episode, the very opening thing that Sarah Koenig starts with is a discussion of how well could you remember a day that happened six weeks ago? Yeah. And she, you know, she, she takes random high school kids as an example and is asking them, oh, where were you six weeks ago? And like with anybody, the answers are just so vague and people have to just speculate they're going oh was i in school six weeks ago or you know was it was it work or was it a holiday they can't even remember and they're just wrong and and she starts with this premise of how difficult it is to remember where you were because one of the central points to this murder case is that um syed himself basically says like he doesn't remember a lot of the details of the day that his ex-girlfriend got murdered because to him, it was like, it was just another day. There, there wasn't anything from his perspective, because he claims his innocence, to particularly remember about what happened then. Mm. And so Sarah Koenig is kind of bringing this up in the beginning as a, what I thought was a terribly valid point, that you can't remember clearly what you did. I mean, when, when she started that in the show, I thought, I can't remember yesterday very well, right? If, if somebody asked me, what were you doing at 4 p.m. yesterday? I would have to say something like, I think I was at home in my office in front of my computer, but that's really what I'm really doing there is pulling up like a probability curve of where was I? Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's a 95% problem, but I don't have any actual memory that at 4, 4 p.m. yesterday I was in my office. So, you know, six weeks ago might as well be 25 years ago. Where were you? You know, certainly well, the, the unreliability of memory is a is a theme of, of the podcast, importantly so. Yes, but this is but this is where my frustrations grew. So this is her starting point. In the first few episodes, she's kind of laying down some of the facts of the case and building things up. But then as 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 time goes on, I felt that that more and more of the episodes were could be summarized in some way as Sarah Koenig wants people to remember the particulars of a day that happened 15 years ago. And She's trying. She's interviewing people, and she wants to know what were you thinking at this time, or what was going on at at that time, and that's kind of where my frustration came in. And these are like adults. They, these, this is this is they were high school kids, and now she's interviewing them as kind of grown ups, asking yeah. what they did on a particular day of the, at high school. Yeah, that's that's exactly yeah. it. It's like she's interviewing a thirty year old woman about where she was when she was sixteen. Yeah. You know, and, and the. Th- I guess I, I felt I went back just today actually because I knew we were going to talk about it, and I went to re-listen to the opener because I thought did I misremember this myself? How she opened <laughs> this this story, and I thought no, no, this was the case. She's really laying it thick at the beginning about how hard it is to remember stuff. But I felt like the rest of the show, particularly after maybe the first three or four episodes, 
it was like she completely ditched this and forgot about how hard it is to remember. And she's she's annoyed with Syed for not remembering anything about that day in particular. And she's trying to trace down people and ask them about what they were doing on, on this day. And I, I kept waiting for the episode where like she's you know, she's a reporter. Why don't you talk to somebody about memories and how memories work but this this never came up in the podcast and so i felt like a lot of i felt like a lot of the later episodes were exercises in futility where yeah. she's like she's, she's like oh you know when there was um there was one girl in particular who she was trying to track down who she wanted to interview and i and i felt like what's the point of asking this girl what happened 15 years ago Anything she says doesn't even matter. Nobody can remember with any sort of detail. No matter how confident they are in their memories, 15-year-old memories are just are just so worthless. And so that that that's what I kind of felt the last half of the pot the last half of the podcast was was just this this futile attempt to reconstruct from people's minds the particulars of a day long lost to history. I think it is a fair criticism to say that the podcast probably did run out of steam mm-hmm. and went a bit longer than it than ideally it could, that the content was worthy of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I did think it was very good. A couple of the things, you know, we've already said a few of the things I mm-hmm. thought were good. I've always had a problem with podcasts before we before we did even started podcasting. You and I, one of my main criticisms of podcasts was that there's this kind of frontier of people in there you know, in their bedrooms like you and I are doing stuff, which I think is very interesting and, and valid. But for, for radio, I always thought radio just saw podcasting as a chance to reversion the stuff they were already transmitting and right. get a second buy right. of the cherry. And yes. I was very cynical about that. Yeah. And this is one of the first times I feel like I've heard a professional professional radio people making something that, almost wouldn't work on radio. Like, I know this was broadcast on radio, but it's not suited to radio because you have to have listened to the one before. And, yes. And um, the episode lengths vary as well, which yeah, I, was, I was really yes, aware of. Like, yes. that's very internet-y that yeah. it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit in a particular time yeah. slot. So it was kind of these professional craft audio people finally transitioning to make something for podcasting in much the same way that you can look at YouTube and it's just like clips of TV shows and then there are people who are making stuff that is bespoke for YouTube and mm-hmm. could only work on YouTube. Right. And this is this is one of the I know it's I know it happens, but this is the first time I've come across it where I've thought, that's it. If radio people want to break into this kind of audio thing, this is how they do it. Yeah. Like they they did it, she did it, you know, they did everything right. Um and yes it ran out of steam and there are a few criticisms of it that we can talk about. But overall that that was the thing that impressed me most was yes you've 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 figured it out you guys this is this is what to do like you know give it some meat give it some depth go go in detail and um, no, they, did every, you know, they did everything right in that respect I think that that's a good point that I hadn't considered and just just thinking through my own podcast one of the ones which I sometimes listen to uh, is the is the Freakonomics one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you listen to Freakonomics or not. I've listened to it a couple of times. It never quite grabbed me. But that I don't know if it is the case or not, but that one really feels like this is made to fit some time slot on some radio program somewhere. Yeah. And then we have also just put it on the internet. And there's nothing wrong with that, but some something about it really feels like, 
almost like it's a television show that we have just put on YouTube where yeah. like, oh, why are there these fade like fade outs like on TV shows when they try to put them on the internet? It's like, oh yes, because that's where the commercials used to go. Yeah. Uh, but now it does. Now it's just an awkward scene transition or something. The BBC feels a lot like that to me. Like I've always felt it's a bit of a sausage factory where they're just chopping up all their radio shows and yeah. splattering them all over the internet as podcasts. Where yeah, this felt yeah. like this felt like this was made for for me on my walk and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely grew frustrated with it towards the end. And and I grew frustrated with Sarah Koenig in particular as, as it stretched on. I remember there was something she was doing. I was like, what are, you, what are you doing? I don't understand what point you're trying to make. It did become a bit... I don't agree with you that she should have gone and spoken to memory experts and stuff because then I think it would have all become a bit worthy and a bit... The thing I liked about it was that I was so lost in the in the case and the people and like I was so absorbed by the characters and i think if she stepped out too many times and started talking to people who had nothing to do with it too many times she did do that but if she did it too many times it would have it would have lost me so i don't agree that she should have done that but i do agree it was too long and she did it started becoming a bit repetitive a couple of things at the start before i started mm-hmm. that i was cynical about i was very cynical about her and it being her story and I was a bit worried that she was going to make it all about me and and she did she did make it very much about her the Sarah Koenig she did make it her story and I thought that would annoy me and I have to say it didn't Mm -hmm. much to my surprise I felt like I went on the journey with her the other thing that I thought would happen was there would be endless endless periods of things I couldn't follow like you know, too many people like Bill called Bill called Sally at four thirteen PM and then John called George mm-hmm. at and I'd be and I wouldn't be able to hold it all in my head. It would become too uh, bogged down by details. And that did start to happen in a couple of episodes. Later on there were whole, you know, but what about the three fifteen call to so and so? And I'm like, Oh God, who's that again? And Oh man, who, I, yeah, I have yeah. to say when when there was a bit when, of that. Yeah, that that part in particular, which was the uh, the Asia call, the three fifteen call to this girl Asia McLean, I think it was. No, Asia McLean or, was the letter, the alibis. This was the oh, Nisha, the Nisha call. Yeah, sorry, the Nisha yeah, call. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, yeah, it's funny how these people are like become like so because I listened to it more recently. Like these names are just all burned in my head. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about that. But I, I definitely had a case where, again, some somewhere around. Th- three quarters of the way in, I realized I was kind of lost about like, what is the importance of this phone call? And it's especially weird when I, I'm listening to this all in a row. I, 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 I am not good with this kind of stuff just in general of, of keeping people straight. Yeah. And so I, I did get lost, but I'm aware that that's sometimes a, a bit of a, a difficulty for me is, is keeping track of, of the people that like, they're all theoretical people in, from the perspective of this radio program. And so it's like, aside from the main ones, obviously you kind of have Jay, the the key witness at the trial and his yeah. girlfriend and a couple other friends, you know, like there's a, there's a few of these people, but then I did start getting a bit lost about three fourths of the way through. Uh, I was going to say something else or like the, I don't know if you were able to follow the cell tower thing, but I, yeah, I, I that found, was just, that became a bit of a mess to me. I, I thought that that like, I don't know if that was me or if it was the, that episode, but I thought like, this is not explained very well i don't understand what's going on with this with all yeah. of this talk about his phone where could he have possibly been what cell phone towers was his phone pinging and all the rest of this i thought i did think it got a bit 
a bit lost in the in the weeds, but big picture started well, lost steam. I think we both seem to agree on that. You yes. even you especially. It also not you know spoiler spoiler spoiler. To me, it lacked a big payoff at the end. It did it did peter out. I kind of thought maybe she was holding something massive back and was going to knock my socks off at the end, which was half the reason I kept listening. I thought yeah. she's she's just going to kill me at the end. What she got? What she got? And it it ended well. But it didn't. I thought it was a horrifically impotent ending. Yeah. Just it, just, just yeah. nothing. Just absolutely nothing. I was thinking about there are many different ways. You know, you don't need an episode, a final episode, where it's like, and we've definitely convicted him. Or, oh, and by the way, you know, we've set him free. I don't need that at the end. But it, but her, her final episode was just so shoulder shruggy. You know, the, the thing that frustrated me about it is, let me look it up. The, the exact, um, the, t- yeah, okay. So it's, it, the t- final episode was called What We Know. Yeah. And to bring this back to the memory kind of thing, I was kind of hoping that this final episode would do the thing where, like, okay, we've been talking to all of these people and all of these witnesses, but what are the actual facts of the case? And even that, I felt like the final episode didn't do a good job of summing things up, and it ended on on such a such a wishy washy ending. It was I found it very frustrating and and, and strange. Yeah. I looked into some of the production, and one of the things that I wonder is they had the first few episodes done, yeah. and started broadcasting, and then they kept going. Well, that's what we did. Yeah, that's that's what we did. Mm. Uh, I, I totally I totally agree <laughs> with that. I wonder if that affected the production. Mm. Uh, um, I, I wonder if, if some, like, I would be really curious to know what episode is the first episode they did after it had started to air. I think that was smart though. I think that allowed them probably to shake a few trees loose, you know, having the stuff out there. It, it enabled them to then start approaching people and have people approach them. I, I think that was tactically very smart to I, do a few that when no one knows about it, because, because then you can get people to talk without realizing they're going to be famous. And yes. then once they're all famous, you can t- you can get the people in a different context. That's that's just smart journalism. I almost certainly would have recommended they do the same thing if I was in charge of this. If I was the producer, is say, mm-hmm. look, let's let's get a few ahead of time and then and work it out. But I just wonder if in this particular case, because it became such a phenomenon, that 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 negatively affected it. That it it didn't just become oh, there's this great podcast called Serial. It became the central podcast and a whole news narrative about this is the most popular podcast that has ever been made and then brought into this this story about podcasts are really popular and everybody should go listen to Serial. I, I wonder if that was just – if that was too much attention mm. uh, that, that affected it in a negative way. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe it was too big, but I don't know. I, don't, I think – I don't know. I don't think it – I think it helped them more than it hurt them. An interesting story that came into my head when you were talking about memory and it, and it maps onto the podcast in a funny way, but mm-hmm. I mentioned that my wife was coming home and listening to a section and she put a section on in the dining room uh, while we were eating and I was listening to it, obviously, for the second time. Mm-hmm. 
And as, as it was playing, I was I vividly remembered where I was when I listened to it like a week before. Like mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, yeah, I was listening to this part at the bottom of the hill near our house mm-hmm. as I was driving home and driving the car up towards the house. Mm-hmm. It was like burned in my memory. I remember everything about it, <laughs> holding the steering wheel, hearing it and everything. And then we listened a bit more and about five, ten minutes later, I was like, oh, yes, and I remember this bit because this was just as I was approaching the house, like pulling up to the house. And like finding a parking space, clear as clear as day. This memory that was really, really vivid. But then it suddenly occurred to me: the podcast has been going for about ten minutes, and that drive is that is like thirty seconds. Right? How, how can this be? Right. And I was thinking, what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong? And I was thinking and thinking, and eventually, after racking my brains, it suddenly occurred to me. No, I was walking home that day and I was actually right. walking up the hill and then it, that's why it was 10 minutes because I then walked to the street and was walking up to the house. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was funny that a podcast so much about memory gave me such a surprise showing me how my memory is so unbelievably unreliable. And I would have sworn blue if you'd asked me that I was in the car listening to it. Yeah. And suddenly, no, I wasn't. Yeah. I was walking. My memory was completely wrong. It's a... It's a silly story, but no, no, no. It but it, it, it makes it, a point. It dovetails exactly into into my kind of broader thoughts about this, which which is a, a similar thing. It is like okay, Sarah Koenig is trying to reconstruct memories from from fifteen years ago, but like we know why I wanted her to talk so much to a memory expert because she she did have someone um, she did have a couple of experts who came into the show. And it's like we just we know so much about how how frail human memory is, mm. and more importantly, how how easily influenceable the memory is, uh, and and this is something people just aren't just aren't aware of. But how how trivially simple it is to not even on purpose, but to put false memories in people's heads, and this whole case about whether or not this guy was able to kill his girlfriend. I felt like the whole thing was just framed in this bizarre way. And I don't know. I felt there was there was a like there was a more interesting story maybe to be told that did touch on some parts of the the criminal justice system in general because it felt like okay, we're supposed to have the presumption of innocence, aren't we? And the the, the like the real the real nail in this guy's coffin is eyewitness testimony from one guy who says uh, he saw a guy called Jay who said he saw Syed. He didn't see him commit the murder, but he saw the body later is what he said. Yeah, he showed him the body in the trunk right. of his car. Yeah. He showed him the body in his trunk of his car, which is which is just kind of crazy. I guess let, let me back it up one level, which is that I, I, I could never be on a jury for very many reasons. <laughs> uh, one of which is I made that whole video about net neut- uh, not net neutrality. I made that whole video about jury nullification yeah. and... Uh, so when that, oh, this is the problem, you make a video and then you forget what was in your own video. So I would have to go back and watch my video, but there is a particular question that lawyers ask, which is something to the gist of, uh, would you make a, a verdict? Would you make a decision in this case based on information or based on something outside of the law, which is their sneaky way of trying to ask about jury nullification. And I'd have to say, yes, I would do that. So I, I believe in jury nullification, but secondly, the other reason why I, w- I, I would never be on a jury is I could never convict anyone of a crime based on eyewitness testimony as the as the major factor. I feel like we know how how terrible eyewitness testimony is. If I was if I was told like oh you're going to be on this jury, I say okay, well, I'm basically going to disregard everything that any human says. 
<laughs> if he's just show me what the physical evidence is and we'll make a decision based on that. But but things that people say, it, it counts for nothing in my mind, right? It's all just words. I, um, I kind of agree with you, Gray, but like if you showed me a dead body in the in the back of a car, I might not remember what shirt you were wearing or what time it happened or exactly what we said, but I would remember that CGP Grey showed me a dead body in the back of a okay, car. Okay, but but you're do, you're doing something different here. You are you are starting from the presumption that you are seeing something. I'm saying instead that that like I accuse I say I saw Brady Heron kill someone. Mm. Right? And now you are on trial for murder and the key witness in the in is me and i'm saying i saw you jurors should just ignore that it doesn't because we know people just say things that aren't aren't true or that they oh, don't yeah. that they yeah. don't even know are true and this yeah, is one of the things there's that a I, there's a difference between a willful lie though and um a hazy recollection is what i'm saying like yeah. if this guy if this if this j witness guy who saw the body in the back of the car was trying to frame this guy or was covering for someone else or lying then he's lying okay that 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 is a that is a judgment and a decision to be made but i think when you start saying oh where did this happen what time did it happen and things like that i think that's a bit unfair sometimes to pick a memory apart if the core truth to it is true like me remembering when i was listening to the podcast going up the hill like the fundamental truth is i listened to the podcast where exactly where I was sitting, exactly what time I was here and there is are details I got wrong. But the kernel at the at the core of it is true. And like, yes, people lie, and you can't just rely on eyewitness testimony. But I think sometimes disregarding eyewitness testimony because of trivial details being wrong is a little unfair. Okay, my my counter to this is that. We used to burn people for being witches based on eyewitness testimony. You'll have to forgive me if I don't find eyewitness testimony terribly convincing. Well, no, that, that's as I said, that's different. That's because the person lied, and that's why we don't just rely on it. But I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but but know. so here, here's the th- I feel like the, the fundamental thing here is the internal state of somebody else's mind is unknowable. And when I talk with to people about memory, you're coming at it from the same a, a position that many people do, which is that they think about their own memories in their own head. And I, I feel like, no, you can't, you can't do that. You have to think about it in terms of evaluating what somebody else is saying. And, and you can't do the same thing. You don't know the internal state of that person's mind. You don't know whether they're intentionally lying or whether they don't even know that they're lying. I mean, one of, one of the things that I did think was relatively good about Serial was they did uh, they did kind of point out, a l- I wish they had done more of it, but they did point out the, like, the whole system that surrounds this. Mm. And so they talked about the main witness, Jay, and how before the police officially interview him, which is the interview they actually record, they do something like an unofficial pre-interview that yeah. was three hours long yeah. that they don't record where they're talking to him and then they do the the real interview. And there's been just a lot of studies on this, how showing like this is the this is the prime case for like weird false memory things happen where you keep talking to somebody, it's a high stress, high pressure 
situation. And people in that situation want to help the authority figures. Yeah. And even if they don't mean to, they start manufacturing more and more details in their mind to match up whatever it is the police want. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that, you know, this was, this deals a lot with the phone calls and explaining when phone calls were made. I still come back to the tr body in the trunk of a car, though. And I don't think that that either is a complete lie or, um, or is not. <laughs> and like, I don't think there is, I don't think there, I don't think he didn't see the body and then the police jogged his memory or told him, can you just say it for us? He either has decided to tell this fundamental lie to get this guy in trouble, in big trouble, or he hasn't. Okay. Uh, but, 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 but in but, general but, but, terms. In no, general but hold terms. on, hold on, hold on. Well, just, let, let's just, let's just take that for a moment, right? Okay. Let's just, uh, he, either he's chosen to lie or he's not. Yeah. That isn't, that is fundamentally unknowable right you you we don't have machines yet that can pry into his brain yeah, and tell that's us that's why we lying. have a jury trial because someone because until unless it was videotaped or unless god is sitting there <laughs> knowing everything that's how we have to decide things until everything in the universe is recorded and everything is known we have people have to weigh have to listen to the stories listen weigh up the evidence and make it of course it's of course, it's unknowable. No one knows, but a decision has to be made. We can't just let every yeah. murder go, every murder that's not videotaped. Um, my, my, my view on it is this. If you remove all the eyewitness testimony, is the physical evidence still compelling? And I, and I, and I think that, is a, that should be the bar, especially in things like murder cases is totally remove Jay. Is there still convincing physical evidence that, that somebody or that this, that this guy killed his ex-girlfriend? If the answer to that question is no, I, would, I could never possibly convict someone. I, w I wouldn't care how much eyewitness testimony there was. Okay. I just think, I think humans are just more unreliable in their memories than they think they are, even for huge, huge events like this. I mean, I, I, this is a terrible, this is a terrible example, but I, I will bring up people who believe they have been abducted by aliens, mm. right? Do you think those people are lying? Uh, hmm. Sometimes, yeah. Other times, you know, yeah, they could, it could be sort of, you know, mental illness and or other things going on that I don't understand, but I think some of them are lying. Yeah, some of them are lying. Yeah. But here's the thing. I've met people who think they have been abducted by aliens. Yeah. People, I would say, are not, they're not homeless people on the streets with tinfoil on their heads. They're normal functioning members of society. They're, I don't think they're mentally ill. And I don't think they think they're lying. But they have some memory that they were abducted by aliens. Yeah, but... This guy in jail in Maryland hasn't gone to jail because of someone saying they're abducted by aliens. No, no, but no. Here's, but here, <laughs> I know, here I know, is I know your my point. central point. Here is you're acting like it's it's out of the realm of possibility that someone could fabricate having seen a dead body in a trunk. Yeah, could could, when could this be like an invented memory? Yeah. There are sane people who think they have right. They have flown into outer space and been poked yeah. and prodded and then deposited back on Earth. The, imp the impressive thing about Jay's invented memory then is he also knew exactly where the murder victim's car was in a really obscure place. 
So yeah, so like this is this is the question, right? <laughs> was that of, invented as well? Or, I mean, the police didn't know where that car was, and then he said, "Yeah, and this is where the car is." And they went to this obscure place, and the car was there. So this is this to me now gets back into like, is that physical evidence? That's kind. That is kind of what I wanted. I wanted like the what we know episode to more clearly sum up. Yeah. And I feel like I would need to like if I was on the jury, I would want to look through those kinds of those kinds of things and say, okay. Uh, you know, and and if someone was able to relay information that they could not possibly have known, that they could not possibly have, have been communicated to them, I would count that as a kind of physical evidence. Do you I, know I what? Say, Circumstantial yeah, evidence is important. And I don't know because I wasn't there 15 years ago and you and I are just a couple of numpties who listen to a podcast. But <laughs> yeah. let's not let's not forget that this reporter also wasn't there 15 years ago and she's very emotionally involved. And this jury was very quick to convict this guy. Mm-hmm. And they and they and they were in the trial, and they don't have a whole lot of doubt. And you know, there aren't a, there aren't a lot of people expressing doubt who were involved actually in the trial and the case, other than people who knew this guy and have emotional attachments. And that that actually counts in, in me deciding whether or not I happen to think this guy is guilty or not, which is completely irrelevant to anything because I'm on the yeah, other side. Yeah, that's, that's not the yeah. point of this. But, in, but, I, of this. but in making my own little decision in my head, which is what the game of this whole serial thing is, uh, that counts That counts for something. The fact that the people in the room had no doubt and they they saw the testimony and they were in the room and they made a judgment call about the witnesses and- that does count for something. And I I completely hear what you're saying about memory, and I understand. But I've actually spent a lot of time in court. I've I've sat through mm-hmm. murder trials. Uh, I've sat through some very exciting murder trials and some very boring murder trials for my work. <laughs> and it is a completely different experience. And I must say um, that this podcast was the closest I've seen or heard to conveying what a real murder trial is like. Hmm. That's interesting to hear. But but it's still quite a way off. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. can still be super boring. I mean, there, there was one episode where she did try to point out how boring huge sections yeah. of, a, of a trial actually are. That it's, it's not super exciting. Yeah. Um, part of my frustrations are just, I think, like the whole, the whole... Again, there are many times when I when I'm watching or listening to some piece of media, and I I cannot help but think of of how I would want this thing to be or how I would wa- want this thing to be different. And because it started to go downhill, I started to find myself thinking more and more about that. And I, I kind of wanted it to be some other things. You're so um, unfair on things. This is like the her discussion all over again, where where, <laughs> where, where something started a way that excited you, and because it didn't play the way you wanted it to play, you sometimes go a bit harsh, but. No, I, well, I, I, I do think it, it. I think this should have been six episodes, not twelve episodes. I think it. I think it could have been a really amazing thing at six episodes with the exact same stuff, right? Just yeah, you know, you could do a, a super cut of this and take the twelve episodes, get it down to six, and I think you could have something that's pretty amazing without without adding all the kinds of stuff that I would want to do uh, if I was in if I was in charge of this, which I was not. You know, there was um, something about the length of the journey that appealed to me, though, and. Um I kind of agree with you, but I think maybe you're, you're cutting too hard. And there, there was something about the pace. One of the strengths of this podcast was the pacing. And I think if you became too snappy and too CGP grey about it and made it really cool and really quick and really excellent, I think it would lose some of that 
meanderingness that I don't know. Yeah. If you're going to call six hours snappy. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, six hours yeah. versus 12 hours. Yeah. I just think, um, I think, I think, although, although it ran out of steam content wise, uh, I don't know. There was, there was something about the pacing that appealed to me. So, so I, just I, don't, want, I, I don't know hmm. if I agree, but maybe you're up. I'm still going to, I'm going to keep harping on this thing about eyewitness testimony. I just want to look at something. <laughs> so, okay, here we go. So I, I just wanted to look up some things about the, um, the innocence project which I think was actually the group that Sarkini worked with in this show, didn't she? Yes. But just on a quick summary from them here. So, so the Innocence Project, basically, they, they try to go back and for cases similar to this, where there, there may be DNA evidence that can exist in a murder case. If it can be tested now, they want to test it because 15 years ago, you couldn't, it was not as prevalent as it is now. Yeah. So they're, they're, try, they're trying to free people who have been falsely imprisoned. Yep. And in the United States, they, they have freed um, 300 plus people at this point based on DNA evidence, physical evidence that exonerated them from not like it couldn't possibly have been you. Uh, you know, it, we have some other unknown person's blood all over the victim kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the most common reason for false conviction is unreliable eyewitness testimony. Uh, that that the jury used. This is for seventy five percent of wrongful convictions, uh, according to the Innocence Project. So, seventy five percent of the people who, by their measure, were wrongfully convicted were done so based on eyewitness testimony. Uh, so they, again, like this is not it's not good news for eyewitness testimony. Um, you definitely have a bee in your bonnet about this eyewitness testimony. <laughs> I do. do. Well, I do. I do. And I also, I guess, I just think the whole. I don't I don't want to get all upset again and like get on a like on a rant but I I think that future generations will judge us very harshly for our current prison system. Our current prison system is horrifically capricious and unnecessarily barbaric and accomplishes nothing. So many systemic problems in it. That I think this is the same kind of thing that like we like we look back in history now and go, wow, how, you know, how could how could slavery be so widely present? It's so obviously a horrible thing. How could society just accept that as fine? And in 100, 200 years, people will look back on our prison system as, a, as, a, as it currently exists and, and think similar, similar thoughts like how could people possibly accept that horrific system? Uh, so I guess that that's partly why like I. I yeah. I get very frustrated with a lot of things that are related to the criminal justice system. Um, it's I do, I do not think that it is good in any way. <laughs> if I, I, I just a story I quite a story I quite like from when I used to sit in trials that I quite mm-hmm. that gives me some sympathy for juries, and I always this really sticks in my memory. Or well, I think it sticks in my memory. You've got me wondering now, but anyway, yeah, maybe maybe not. But this is there was this. A lot of people don't realise this, but I notice quite a lot how often when jurors come back in after they've deliberated and a verdict's about to be given, how often a few of the jurors are crying because mm-hmm. of the, the the process and the torment they've just been through of what they've had to do. Mm-hmm. And I remember I covered this big elaborate murder trial and these people were accused of killing this other guy by sending him a bomb in the post that he then opened and exploded and killed him. Mm-hmm. And it, one of the main reasons they wanted to kill this guy was because he was going to dob one of the killers in for being a drug dealer. Mm -hmm. 
And this guy in the trial completely denied he was a drug dealer. Like this was like, I'm not, I'm not a drug dealer. This is ridiculous. He wasn't using this against me because I've never had anything to do with drugs in my life. It's crazy. So I imagine that would have left some doubt in the jurors' minds. So anyway, a whole bunch of other things happened, which I'll tell you about sometime. It was a really, it was a really interesting trial. Uh, and the jurors came back in and some of them were crying because they weren't sure they'd done the right thing. But the verdict was delivered and they found these people guilty. And there was this amazing atmosphere. There's there, it's one of the most amazing atmospheres ever is to be in a room when a big verdict is about to be given. Like it's it 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 really makes you realise what like being able to touch you know cut the atmosphere with a knife means. It's like mm-hmm. it's really um, a very physical thing, and that so this verdict was delivered, and there was this feeling of sort of emotion and excitement, and all these feelings were going on, and then the judge did something in a really interesting way, really really emotional way and he said before i dismiss the jury and this doesn't always happen he said before i dismiss the jury i want you to stay here jurors i want you to see this next bit and then he turned to the prosecutor and said mr prosecutor can you please tell me a little bit more about the accused because there was a whole bunch of stuff that the jury wasn't allowed to be told and the prosecutor stood up so triumphantly and said yes i can your honor the defendant has been convicted of heroin traffic trafficking three times and he has mm-hmm. all these drug convictions and he reeled off all the drug convictions and it just changed everything and the and the jurors who weren't allowed to know this the the look of relief on their face and the and the weight that lift it still sends uh, tingles down my spine now the way it changed the jurors like they were like oh thank god you know we, we were right like the one thing that made us think we were wrong the motive instantly went away and all the other physical evidence was still there and they made the right decision but the one thing they were unsure of was motive because of the laws and uh, that was a really amazing moment but it also made me really uh, sympathize with what jurors go through it was a really incredible mm-hmm. incredible experience uh, can I ask you two final questions? Sure. All right. I know you don't deal in absolutes because you're not a Sith, but if you can, if you can try and give me, I think I do deal in absolutes. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, well, yeah, maybe you are a Sith. Well, then give me a yes or no answer Sith to are this. Way cooler. Would you recommend someone listen to Serial? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's it's worth listening to, or it's worth giving a try. Okay. I mean, lots uh, of people like it, and the. I wouldn't recommend anybody watch her. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> the second thing is not not what would you do if you were on the jury. Do you think he did it? Anand Sayed, do you think he did it after listening to 12 episodes? Not would you convict him. Do you think he did it? Okay. Okay. I have a longer thing to say about that. So why don't you first, <laughs> I, obviously you would recommend it. You first tell me what, what your answer to that question is. I would obviously I would recommend Serial. I think it was just a, fan, a fantastic thing. <laughs> yes, and, and you'd recommend her. And uh, yes, I also recommend her. Uh, and I do think he did it. I think he. I think he committed the crime that he is in jail for. Not that what I think matters, and right, right. and I don't know if I was on the jury what I would have done. But after listening to this, I think he did it, and I'm surprised the reporter doesn't. Hmm. Hmm. So my my answer my answer to your question is I think it is fundamentally unknowable in the in the current state. 
I guess I guess the reason why I feel like this is a, this is a longer I don't know. I feel like my answer is is longer and more complicated is in some ways I don't think whether he he did it or whether he didn't do it is relevant. I think in in these like people people want these answers and I I just I don't think that that's that's really what matters. I think it's all it's all a question about evidence and probabilities and reasons and I I I don't think that a jury should have convicted him of that crime based on based on what was presented. But of course, that is in, in no small part biased by my I don't believe witnesses, I don't care what they say under any circumstance. Uh it is it is a relevant factor. I I I think this this came down into a like um what is an interesting case uh, and what Sarah Keating herself was kind of doing sometimes in the in the show was trying to see like basically he had this window of 21 minutes where he's unaccounted for and it's a question of could he get from the school to murder his ex-girlfriend and then get back to track practice in time and i felt like they were trying to find ways to show that he he could have done it in this time right there was just enough time if everything if everything went right. But I feel like our whole justice system is supposed to be set up on the presumption of innocence. And so you have to presume that he is innocent and the fact that he had time to go and commit this murder and come back makes him no different from anybody else who was on the track team. Anybody could have gone there and come back in those 21 minutes. There's nothing special about him except that a jury is looking at him sitting there on uh, during the trial. So I guess that's kind of my, my long-winded thing of saying, I, 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 I don't have an opinion at all on whether or not he did it. Do you but not I, have a feeling, just as someone who, who knows humans and hears things and just puts things together in their head, you don't even have a feeling. I, know, I, I understand you think he couldn't be convicted. And if he can't be convicted, he can't be. And he should walk through free whether he did it or not. I'm not asking you that. I'm just asking you what you feel as a human hearing 12 hours of people talk about this, including the, including the person who was convicted. We hear a lot from him. Um, you, don't just, you don't have a feeling. You don't just have like a, a gut feeling. Because that's all I've got. I've got a bit of evidence that he did it and a bit of evidence that maybe he didn't and just what I know of humans and what and what I just think of all the humans I've met and putting it all together in a big blender and a gut feel. Whether I want to or not, I have a gut feeling. If you told me, Brady, you must not have a gut feeling at the end, I'm sorry, I will. And I have one. Are you telling me you don't have one? Well, I guess... I do, but it is it is very slight, and like I said, I think it is irrelevant. I don't. I know. Think it, I know it's irrelevant. It, mine is irrelevant. My, <laughs> mine is mine is completely. Anyone who wasn't on the jury's yeah. opinion is irrelevant. But but we've spent all this time talking about it. I'm just asking if you'll share it with us. What your slight gut feeling is? <sighs> Have you got a reason for not sharing it? No, no. I'm. I. I, I well, I guess only slightly in that I think it sometimes just detracts from the other arguments that I'm trying to make in, in this in the same way like with my humans need not apply video I didn't there was things that I didn't want to talk about because I think they were distracting 
And so, yeah, my my gut feeling in this case is that he didn't do it. Right. But I don't want that to to for people to be like, oh, that, like that's why you're focusing okay. on the eyewitness yeah. testimony. Yeah. Right. That that's why I'm I'm hesitant to say that. Okay. Because if some piece of evidence comes out tomorrow that is like, you know, well, you know, we, we this shows so clearly that he did it, like. I, that, that's irrelevant to me. Like I don't, I don't care. Like it doesn't change my opinions on eyewitness testimony and how horrific the whole justice system is. Mm. Um, I just, I, I feel like I don't know. I, I don't know. Is there's, there's like a lot of stuff that's wrapped up in this, and it's why it's so, I, it's why it's so um, successful. Can I, can I, yeah, but can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. You, your very notion about like having gut feelings about stuff—that's exactly the kind of thing that scares me about humans, and particularly humans on on juries. I'm not I'm not so sure how much juries are actually using any kind of of evidence uh, and how much they're just going on their own gut feelings. Like when I was doing the jury uh, jury nullification video, I was looking into a, a bunch of stuff and it's like you can find some just horrific studies about how people make decisions. <laughs> it's like ugly people get get longer sentences, right? Yeah. You know, and like beautiful people don't. I mean, like one of the things is like, okay, there there are vastly more men in prison than there are women because men tend to commit more violent crimes. But for like, if you look at very similar cases that are committed by a man or a woman, like a woman tends to get a shorter sentence on average than mm-hmm. a man for the exact same same kind of crime. And uh, one of the more one of the more famous ones, which is the most like. There's not a jury, but it's just a horrific example to me of just like the capriciousness of human decision making has to do with parole boards. And the basically, you want to see the parole board just right when they get in or right after they've had lunch. Yeah. But like the longer it's been since they've eaten, the less likely they are to grant parole. And all this kind of stuff to me is like, does not bode well for humans making any kind of rational decisions when they're faced with another human being's life in their hands. And so I I feel like, man, I bet a lot of this comes down in the jury room to basically, even though jurors won't admit it, it's a question of how much they like the witness Jay and how much they like the defendant. Like, and they'll backtrack in their mind, their reasons for going one way or the other. But I feel like, I don't know. The criminal justice system is is too important for for a lot of this kind of stuff. Like I feel like the 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 threshold for convicting someone should be incredibly high to counteract a lot of just the the randomness of humans. I so. I I agree that you know having gut feelings in the criminal justice system is incredibly dangerous and yeah heaven and, help, heaven, and, inc- and prevalent that's that's yeah. the thing that really worries me it's not like oh this is a dangerous thing we have to be careful of it's more like no every juror ever um but gut feelings not the worst thing in the world i mean how often in life i mean we've evolved these things that we don't even completely understand this ability to know when someone's lying. This this feeling yeah, but, that something. Okay, no, but stop right there. Like even that, I don't like the way that's phrased. Like you're presupposing that it works, <laughs> right? You're talking. About, we have evolved the ability to know that someone is lying. Well, it's got you, us this far, hasn't it? It stopped us from going no, 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 near, no, going near but, the bush that we thought might have a big dangerous bear okay, behind no, no, it. But, but no, you again. You're presupposing that your lie detection ability works really well. 
right? And what might actually be the case is it works 51% of the time, <laughs> right? Which is good enough to get the species through. Yeah. But it doesn't mean like, oh, everybody's really great at detecting lies. But I find that like so much of this stuff, people start from the premise that they want, right? Oh, we're, we're, you know, humans are good at detecting lies. Are you? Have you double blinded this? Because when you do, turns out people are crap, right? People are terrible at this, but they only way overestimate their abilities on this kind of stuff. So, um, I yeah. don't know. Um, I've been very ranty on this podcast. I'm, I'm sorry about that. That's all right. You're, you're a passionate guy. Yes, that's right. I'm, yes. I was going to commend Still you on at passion. least being interested in some current news, but this is 15 years old. Uh, but the current news is about the podcast, right? All right. That's that, that's how I found about it through, you know, in things things of interest to the global community find their way to me, like the serial podcast. Heaven help someone if you and I are ever on their jury. That's for sure. I will never be on their jury. I will never be allowed on any jury. Which I think I would make an awesome juror. Which also doesn't doesn't. Uh, yeah, you could be <laughs> on a jury. Uh, not in. There's no way in America I would, I would get on a jury. Because you made your video. No, no, no. Because because they ask you the question about jury nullification, which is basically instant dismissal. Instant dismissal, and they ask questions about eyewitness testimony. And there's there is no lawyer that would accept a juror who says they wouldn't uh, value eyewitness testimony, because you have like again you have to remember it. Like well, I mean you know, but just like you have to be aware. Like the the the. The, the defense and the prosecution are picking jurors. And they're, they're, there's a bias towards trying to pick people who are influenceable. They're not, they're not looking for like the platonic ideal of, of fair citizens. You know, they, like they, they don't want people who have experience with it. With any, they don't want lawyers on, on the jury. Like they don't want any, anybody who has experience with, with anything that's relevant to the trial. Like I, I've seen occasionally people raise the notion of, of having, professional jurors and i think that might be less crazy than it sounds mm. I, th I think that's an interesting notion that like maybe we shouldn't have this weird system where we're trying to pull influenceable people from the general public to serve on juries and maybe we should have people who are who are used to the procedures and used to how this works i mean there, there may be all kinds of other problems with that but it's like it doesn't sound like a crazy idea if i think about it for for more than a few minutes i'm not saying i'm for it but it's just it's crossed my radar as a potential uh, potential alternative. All right. Are we I done guess, with cereal? I guess we're done with cereal. All right. We're probably done altogether, aren't we? I think so. Anything else? No, no other news? Nothing to report? Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've, I've actually I've, I just checked CNN.com and uh, there's lots of stories I want to talk to you about right now. Really? You go check them out. You let me know. You let yeah. Me know. I'll go. I'll see what's, in, I'll see what's important.
Or no, actually, what, who do you want me to check? The BBC? I, I use the BBC one. Funnily, BBC, funnily enough, BBC. the first thing I do is I check BBC Sport and then I oh, check BBC right. News. So I check what sport news has happened before I check, like, world news. Uh, well, actually, let's, let's see. So. Oh, I, if I open up bbc.co.uk. No, you do the news one. Click on news. Oh, I'm sorry. Click yeah. on news. Is that what you want? Yeah. What's the top story? Watkins X cleared over abuse image. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, yeah. You know about the Charlie Hebdo stuff, presumably. Like, yeah, yeah. I saw that on on Twitter. Okay. I'm aware of that. <laughs> All right. Like that's that's a good kind of thing. Like it crossed my radar. Leaders in election TV debates row. That's remarkably uninformative title. Uh oh, snow snows and storms sweep across the UK. There we go. The annual snow apocalypse. You have to talk snow, about that. I, lo- I love I love snow. I love snow. It hasn't snowed where I am, but I can see the snow out in the distance. It makes me sad that it hasn't come here. But I always say I hope it snows, and my wife's like, "No, snow's terrible." There's something. There's something about your AirAsia plane. AirAsia plane fuselage yeah. located. You probably already knew that. I'm right across that. Oh yeah, you're right across that. Are you pro snow or anti snow? What do you mean, pro snow or anti snow? Do you like it when it snows? Like, do you like if I said to you? Yeah, of course I love it when it snows. That's one of the worst things about living in London is it doesn't snow. Right. So if I said I could make it snow tonight and it'll be all white and fluffy when you go out tomorrow, you'd say do it. Yeah, please do. I don't have that power, but despite my god complex, I do not have that power. 